Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another edition of the TetraCast. This is RPG Site's weekly podcast where we get the site staff together to talk about our favorite genre of video games. We have the whole crew here today. My name is Brian Vitali. Joining me, we have Josh Torres. Ready to spend a lot of money on Final Fantasy again. We have Adam Vitali. We have Chow Min Wu. How's it going? And James Galizio. Hey, folks. At the time of recording, it is February 4th. We have been talking for a long time over the last several podcasts about how stacked February is, but we're not quite there yet. A lot of things start releasing next week and beyond when we can talk about all the new releases for February for this year. So for this podcast, a lot of what we've been playing is either just releases that have been coming out throughout January, releases in other genres, or we've been playing things that we can't quite talk about yet. So this podcast will just be kind of tying up a few loose ends, maybe talking about a little bit more about Forspoken this week. We did have one new demo released this week and a few more coming up that we'll probably take the chance to talk about over the next couple of podcasts. So even though it's going to be very busy very soon... We're not quite there yet, so we'll enjoy a little bit of a reprieve as we go into potentially the busiest month of the year, and we'll just see kind of where the conversation leads us. So We really, really want to talk about what we're up to, but we just can't right now. We really do want to talk about it, though. Yeah, and it's not a, it's not like neener, neener. We've got some things that are working on behind the scenes. It's just that we don't yeah. want to break embargo. We we play the games as they release. Sometimes we get access the day they release. Sometimes we get access months ahead of time. It's really hard to plan a schedule around it. And when you have a weekly podcast, sometimes it just lies where it lies. So you can't always get everything to fall nice and tidy in the most convenient fashion. The main headline of this week, actually, out of all things, is that we had a release of a demo for the new Theatrhythm game. And I know we have at least two people on this podcast that are very big into rhythm games and Theatrhythm in general, and that would be James and potentially Josh. Now, I obviously see these games as we cover them on the on the news front here at RPG Site, but I, I played a little bit of Tycho, but I don't play rhythm games generally, not out of any reason, just because I just don't happen to get around to them. But this is for the Theatrhythm Final Bar Line, has a new demo available. And I know a lot of people have been playing this and sharing their thoughts and experiences with this game. And from my impressions as an outsider, it seems like a lot of the takeaway is very, very positive. But I'll hand it off maybe to maybe to Josh first to talk about their experience so far with the Theatrhythm Final Bar Line demo. Basically, what is it? How are you feeling about it? And your impressions with the demo so far? Yeah, I've been a really big fan of the Theatrhythm game since their original release on like the 3DS. I think the first one was on 3DS too, also. And yeah, that like this is like kind of like the, the the rhythm series that celebrates the legacy of the Final Fantasy series and all its music. And by extension, like you know, there's been DLC that's came out on the 3DS games that like extended to other Square Enix properties like Nier, Saga, Mana, etc. And and for for a long while after the Theatrhythm curtain call on 3DS some years ago, we didn't see Theatrhythm for a while because the Theatrhythm that came after it was only exclusive to arcades, mainly Japanese arcades. But there were some Theatrhythm arcade machines like in Round One or arcades across the U.S. You know, for some time I don't know if they're still there or not, but that was like the only like way to access them. Like if you live happen to live near you know, a round one or an arcade that had that. And even then, like, you know, like the arcade, like control scheme for it, like it was something that I'd never got like time to get used to because it obviously was fundamentally different from how the 3DS games handled it. Because with the 3DS, you could either use a stylus 
or like just use the the buttons and the stick on the 3ds while like the, the whole layout of how the arcade did it like felt very weird to me and i didn't want to like spend the time to try and like learn it like intimately so i, I didn't really get into it i played it here and there but not as much as you know as i did on the 3ds so when they announced theatre the final bar line like i was very 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 excited because i spent hundreds upon hundreds of almost thousands of hours on theatre them on 3ds like they're just very very fun rhythm games and the way that they're presented and like how there's like different kinds of stages and how you and just like it's obviously there's a, a whole chunk of it is like a nostalgia trip for like having an appreciation of like Final Fantasy music in general, just you know, a lot of iconic songs, OSTs throughout the throughout the years. And now um, that we, uh, when we were covering as this game was announced last year, this one seems like it's incredibly comprehensive. I know there was a little bit of weird details about what was pre-order, what was DLC, what was what was added, what was extra, but it seems like in general this game has pretty much any Square Enix property you could think of. You got to get pretty niche to find something that's excluded from this. From the song list here, Dragon Quest isn't on there because because you know the dra- Dragon yeah, Quest that, yeah that's kind of it's kind of muddy like you know yeah, like Dragon Quest did have a Japan only like theatrhythm game but then you know you get into that whole deep rabbit hole of like the you know there's a lot of baggage behind you know the the now dead composer Sugiyama uh, uh, yeah it's basically so, a know. war kind war, war crime denier basically. yeah yeah so. Like you know, it's a very complicated history, and people like you know, like if they if they know, they had have to sort out their feelings around that. And like you know, I can understand like I have the hesitation of not including Dragon Quest. Well, even the, like, beyond that, like yeah. I'm pretty sure they have to you know go through the Sugiyama estate to like right. get access to those songs if they wanted them. Exactly. So yeah, just, it's I, I mean, who knows? An extra they, couple they, of hurdles for them to clear if they wanted yeah. them. Yeah. So who knows? You know, like a, like a, like if this if this. The after them final bar line is super successful, you know, like what they'll how they'll decide to support it moving forward. Because like you know, three the three yes game curtain call, like they supported that for years, like for a long time. It was a while. And in this one, this one's like the nice thing about this game is like upfront, if you're just buying the base game, you are you can already unlock 385 songs around there, just in the base release alone. And if you want to expand that to like get all the songs. Like it'll be like a little over five hundred, like five hundred and two. And the nice thing about that is like all that DLC is coming out like by the end of March as well. Like they already gave dates, so like everything seems to be like you know they're they're all coming out in a somewhat timely manner. Unlike in the, when it was on the three DS, it like they, it took like many many months to finally get. Wait, that I was under the impression the all the DLC coming out before like March or April was. Season pass one. Was it the and season pass I, one? I thought it was like then, all three. Then I thought there was like more season passes coming later. I don't know. I already lied. I thought, I thought, I thought that those dates were just for all of them. I don't. Okay. I take it back. I don't know what the release schedule is for all the season passes, apparently. <laughs> so. I'm surely it's cheaper than the 3DS version when you're buying all the songs DLCs back then, right? I think so. I think so. Like, James, you probably have a better memory of like how much it costs. I don't remember. Okay. But yeah, but either way, no, getting back on topic, Theatrhythm Final Bar Line demo came out. I uh, downloaded on PS5. You know, I wanted to see like what sorts of features they had out of the box. I, you know, they're already offering 
quite a bit, like in like thirty songs, and like and kind of showing you the ropes uh, on what it has. The the first thing I checked was the settings menu, and there's like some nice um like features with it. <laughs> like one of the, like the nice features that comes in like this one is like you have the option of like darkening the background to the point where you can like completely block out like the background because like as you're normally when you're playing, you see like your your party of four traveling on a field beating up monsters. Can they can unleash their summons when they fill up a bar and like does like a big like AoE attack and like it, it, it puts like a lot of effects on the screen. But if you just want to focus on the notes, you can like have the option to either darken the background like through several levels to the point where you're just like you don't see the background anymore. You can just like solely focus on the notes. Which is which is a nice thing because you know it could get pretty busy in the background. And also really funny sicko mode type of uh setting that they put is like you can inflict like the fat chocobo uh, mod on you, which which means what the fat chocobo summon usually does is like it blocks like your field of, of vision. So like normally when you play this game you can see like notes incoming. But like when you when you apply the fat chocobo mod, you can actually like block out the lane so you don't know where like when and where the notes are coming and like there's several levels. So like you can like put it up to the point where like you don't know where the notes will be until they're right there unless you fully memorize the song. So you can like, you know, it's just, it's one of those things like I don't know why you did this, but okay, sure. That's great, I guess. And um how the how the demo works is it gives you I think six series to choose from. You can either unlock FF2, FF5, FF7, FF13, FF14, and FF15. And then it'll, and you can play through like the first like four ish songs. Some, sometimes it'll give you like maybe six or seven, depending on like the series. Like I know like FF5, like had like a good bit along with FF14. Um, and like at first you have like this one like title, like unlock key. So like you unlock the first series it'll give you like some party members so like i unlocked ff13 first i got lightning hope vanilla and snow and just like the 3ds game there's like a light 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 rpgs rpg aspect right where you could like when when you're completing songs with like your party members they're gradually leveling leveling up and learning skills that you can slot in sometimes during like levels when you beat enemy waves they'll drop a treasure chest Sometimes when those treasure treasure drops, they might like uh, drop a summon for you. And sometimes during like when you complete certain quest conditions, they might have like a, like you can like like an airship and like that's just like more mo- mostly a cosmetic thing of like when you go to the stage, like you'll see your airship drop off your party members. So, so um, back it up, back it up for me, just yeah. for someone who hasn't yeah. played theater rhythm. So when you when you get a party member in this game, when you say you unlock lightning or or snow or things like that, what does that mean in the context of theater rhythm? So, that, so it's basically just you unlock the FF13 like title to like play their songs, and right away they'll give you your party members right away. Of like you'll get all forty party members right away, and you can, like go to your edit party, and like you can slide in your party members. And as you unlock more party members from other seasons, you can like mix and match like you know those characters as well. And what that basically means because like all these characters have like their own classes. Like there's like a physical class, a magical class, a healer class, and a defense class. And obviously, the physical and magic classes they they deal in like physical and magic DPS, and like those are for good for trying to defeat enemies as fast as possible. Because at a like a, at a very basic level, what you're really trying to do in these songs, as obviously trying to like completely successfully 
complete these charts as you know as much as you can but as you're completing these songs you're like your party members are unleashing attacks on the enemies so at certain like times during the song there'll be like rainbow auras around certain notes and like these are notes where like you really wanted to get a critical hit which means like try to like line up like very timely hit on these as much as you can because if you time a critical hit on those like special notes like it'll activate like special like attack skills of your party members where like they'll do a lot of damage if you hit those successfully so um as you're defeating enemies you're racking up loot essentially and and also like you're grabbing up experience points for them and then obviously for the like the healing and defense classes like if you're if you're struggling through a song and you're it's like every every note that like you you get a bad hit on or you miss it'll deal damage to you so obviously the healing characters will heal your hp because there you do have an hp a shared hp meter throughout songs and then the defense classes obviously like make it so like missing those notes or getting bad notes like won't hurt you as it won't hurt as much so that that's what it basically means but i see but it may mean rpg light it's like very very rpg light like there's like no like equipment system or anything aside from like the summons and like and like all the skills that you learn is very linear less so like at certain level there's like at level seven lightning will learn this skill at level 15 she'll learn this skill at level 20 she'll learn this skill and like think, and then so it seems she, like it's more like the flavor of the idea of an rpg rather than being an yeah. RPG itself which makes sense because it's a final fantasy based well i say final fantasy yeah. based even though i guess that's more just general square Enix it, now it, yeah like like, I'll, I'll, like if you want to get like get deeper into it like there is certain like party building compositions that like you can start thinking about like say uh like for example like like if i forgot her name from ff5 but like there's this like character from ff5 that like has a skill that enhances the the physical damage of all party members so you want to pair her with characters that deal physical damage and not magical damage so it's stuff like that so she'll she'll be like the buffer of your party and like you want to make sure that like you have a lot of physical damage dealers with her because she'll obviously make them output more damage which is a net positive for for you which makes them kill shit faster so it's like very very like light party compositions to like think of like if you want to go down that rabbit hole which i definitely want like like to do and you know this game has like dozens and dozens of of like characters that you can choose from not just like heroes but also villains down the line as well and you can like see it, and you can mix and match. There's like no, there's like you have complete freedom of like how you want to mix and match and like compose your party once you like unlock those characters as well. And every song like throughout these stages have like quests associated with them, like a very simple quest. Like say for example, one of these quest types will be like don't get a game over, or another quest type like hey have sixty percent of like the notes that are like in this chart like hit them with good like at least a good note and like not and so not missing them or like getting a very mistimed hit like getting a good is very easy in this game um you know just like simple quests like that but then there'll be tougher quests where we'll be like okay you have to do it on this difficulty say like ultimate difficulty and you have to beat like the boss of the stage could be like odin or something so that sort of quest obviously one you have to like start practicing you know like the ultimate chart like difficulty of that quest and like you know getting used to the chart of that of that song and like you know basically try you know clearing it and also having a party that's like buff enough that can like defeat odin as well because you kind of you know you have his defenses and hp totals 
So you have to start thinking about like, okay, how do I want to tackle Odin in this quest? Do I want like a magical base party, a physical base party, you know, and what characters do I want to mix and match to like achieve that goal? And like, and, the, and these quests like will reward you just like collectibles. Like they're not like super game altering things. It's like, okay, you like got to collect the PDA card of like, that shows this artwork, you know, it's kind of like, it's kind of like a small, like completionist thing that like, will you know, for people who like, who like that sort of stuff, that, that will give them that additional incentive of like, of like learning the songs and like overcoming this challenge. Like, you know, for some of these songs that require, you know, some of that can trick your sorts of quests. Like, so it has, it has a nice gameplay loop in the single player aspect of that. Obviously like, the multiplayer stuff isn't unlocked in this demo, so I haven't didn't get a chance to try it. But it just it feels really, 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 really good to control. Like I was playing on my PS5 controller. And the nice thing about this game is like all like aside from like notes that like require like a directional input, which is like just your right left or right analog stick. You know, you can flick it up, down, left, right, depending on what the note is. Sometimes like it, it has you like, hey, have both of your sticks point upwards or downwards or have them like face away from each other diagonally, you know, for some of the charts. Other than that, like you could hit any button, like or, or any uh, note with like either the L L one or, or every trigger or any face button or any D pad face D pad button. So it's like it's up to you to decide like what control scheme and what buttons are like are most comfortable to you. So, like for hold notes, for example, like at the same time, I like using my L1 and R1 for those. But like for like single notes, I might want to like you know find a, a setup that's like more uh, comfortable for me. Like I may be comfortable with like X and and tri- triangle for like some notes, but I can do circle for others. Or like if I want to mix it up, like for incoming things, I can do like square and like L1 or square and L2. Just any m- combination of like like triggers, face buttons, and D pads. Like whatever is comfortable to you, it'll allow aside from those directional notes. And it feels really nice. Like works. It's once you once you set up like, you know, exactly like the speed at which the notes are, are coming to you and like in your input delay to like match the latency of what you're seeing on screen and all that. And they how that can be automated for if you wanted to. Like you can do you can have that all set up automated and see if it works for you. Once all the, all of that is firing on all cylinders, and like it feels really, really nice. I've been going on and on about this. How about you, James? Why haven't you been enjoying the demo? I've just played a little bit of it mm-hmm. because, well, yeah. I know I'm going to put a shit ton of time to this yeah. when the full version comes out. I've already like paid off my pre-order, so I'm just waiting. So I played the demo. It's like, okay, how does the arcade version translate over? It translates over well. Awesome. Going to wait for, uh, for the uh, full game to come over just because there are so many songs. You know what they're getting itself to, yeah. The nice thing about the demo is like it's save data transfer as well. So if like people who want to try it out now, like all the all the they can save, you know, save all the progress that they've been doing over to the full game. The one thing about this demo, which I understand why they do it because it's a demo to like sell it to people who've like never played theatrism, but there are a lot of like well not a lot, but there are some forced unskippable like cutscenes or like trailers. There's there's like the intro movie is unskippable. So there's one. And then the yeah, other the intro, well, the yeah. intro movie is full of soul, so I don't say it's, it's cool, but like you know, but like it's not the first time boot up, like it's unskippable. It's like for people who want to get to the game already, like me, because I'm a fucking sick freak, you know. I was like, fuck, I can't, I can't 
get to it immediately. It's like, all right, just, I guess. Just, it's like just, cool. just imagining like Josh booting up the demo, being like, I need to play it, I need to play it, just exactly. shaking as the intro movie is going. You understand how, how many times I pressed every button on my controller to like uh, uh, skip that intro movie? I was like, there, there's nothing. There's nothing. I just, I just pressed three buttons. I pressed A, B, and then the start button, and none of those worked. So I was like, okay, I'll set my controller down, just watch this. I'll enjoy my movie. I will. I'd say my, my order buttons was start and then square X and then L1, R1, circle, R3, L3. And then I, and then I, I did the face pad things on the, t- on the touchpad. And then I just wanted to throw my control. I'm like, okay, what are we doing? So once you finally get through that, through that intro and you do some of like the basic tutorial stuff, it'll do another like no, no like those info slides about like, oh, like, like more about this game. And then, like, the very first one of those that you encounter, it'll say, like, view, like, trailer or movie or whatever. And, like, it won't give you an option to, like, skip that. So, like, you view it. And it's, like, a like a full-on three-and-a-half to four-minute trailer of, like, the whole game of, like, you know, some songs from every, like, mainline FF and, like, all the things. Like, it looks, it's, it's a nice trailer, like, for sure. But once, once again, it's more things that separate you from playing the fucking video game. But after you're done with that... The only thing you have to deal with after that is like those info sliders once in a while after playing like three to four songs. And then like you can like skip and then you can just like close them after you're done. Um, You don't have to ever watch another unskippable thing after those two, but you still have to do the info sliders. Yeah. But yeah, but I understand why they do it because, you know, they want to sell this game and like, look, this game's really cool. Even though they're like, even though they really are also go have on like this, this, this game also has a shit ton of DLC coming. And here's like here are some songs like two Xanarkin that are only for the deluxe edition as well. Fuck, what the fuck? All right, I guess. But I was already a mark, you know, because I was like, I liked the after them before, so of course I'm gonna fucking pay a hundred dollars on release day to just get everything and then not worry about anything else. So of course, and then and I I tried the PlayStation Five version. You tried out the Switch version, right, James? Yeah, I'm playing the Switch version. How's the Switch version holding up? Oh, it runs fine. Like I did some, I did a few songs on Supreme and like no issues. Well, does go. the Switch version do touch controls at all or no? I don't know because I've been playing it talked. <laughs> I don't think it does, but I was wondering. Does, does it have motion controls with the uh, Joy Cons? No. Oh, yeah. So what are what are the weird things that like people may not know like about the rhythm or like may, or may not like not get used to off the bat? It's like because a lot of people played the theater than 3ds because it's like the stylus. There are like certain notes where like you have to like follow like a certain like line on it, and like with the stylus, it's pretty like self-explanatory. It's like okay, follow this with the stylus on the 3ds touchpad. But like it's like, but if you do it with the controls only, which like this game forces you to do, and like, it's kind of it mimics how like the older theater them games did it. It's like it's a very it's a it's. It's deceivingly presented to you because you, you think it should be precise, but like, well, how these notes basically go is like you can just like hold down the button to start like the path that like it's going to you, and you can like you can go immediately up or down depending on like what the path is, and you'll never overshoot it. As long as you're holding down or up, generally you'll follow that path, and you don't have to worry about like being very very like caressing it to like follow that path. Just go straight up or straight down depending on what that what that path note shows you and and you will not overshoot it you'll be fine so like it's one of those things that's like because i remember one of my friends was like it's like i don't understand how this path note works without my stylus it's like okay 
don't worry about it. It's like that's like, oh, okay, I get it now. But other than that, it's fine. I can't wait for the full release. James and I are at the very least, and there'll be never like downtime ever again of like, what should I play? It's like it's always gonna be the default answer is gonna be theatrism always because there's always gonna be a play for sure. Yep. And the full release of that game is February 16th, so right around when everything else is releasing. But it's wait, uh, wait, hold on. Important question because this is a very this will this will decide what type of person you are, right? So like at the very beginning of the game, I was telling you like you can unlock unlock one of six series. James, what was the first series you unlocked? Fourteen. See, see, and do it for me. FF thirteen. Hey, that's got thirteen would have been my thirteen would have been my second choice because I remember from the original like on the 3ds games 13 had probably the strongest soundtrack for yeah i mean are there any 13 two tracks no i mean there's 13 oh. two tracks in the full release but not in the demo it's I just actually, base 13 i actually like the 13 dash 2 soundtrack more than the base 13 i, I think don't, I, I don't think that's actually a, a yeah a lot of people like 13 2 soundtrack it's very well like 13 is very good i i love 13's ost i i love it 13 and 13 2 like I can think of off the top of my head three or four songs from those games. You can include 13, two, five or six. And then I think, what were the, did you say 15 was one you could unlock at the start? Yeah, you, yeah, you like, can unlock 15 as well. Maybe this is just because I didn't, I didn't, I like 13 more than 15, but I didn't think either were great. And this isn't the, we're not trying to review them here, but like, I can't think of tracks from 15. I'm trying to, and I'm, it's I'm like blanking. It's like this twangy song that plays on, it's almost like a, a root. 66 sort of thing <laughs> oh dude i love that tune i just remembered yeah. it right now i'm like yeah that 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 theme rules but I mean, i'm sure it's like, it's like it's like the theme that like that plays when they're pushing the car at the beginning of the game yeah that that theme rules yeah but uh, blinded blinded by light and sun with waterscape and all the other ones in 13 yeah, 13's got a great soundtrack good yeah love it it's good but i can't i just cannot wait to like unlock so many tracks to be like oh yeah this this game's shot this this Song was good. Yeah. Adam's like Saga. I will play theater rhythm now. Dude, I can't I, play I, passionate I, rhythm or ardent rhythm or whatever they call it now. That's right. They keep changing the name. They also have some live alive tracks in those DLC as well. So you can play Megalomania if you want. Do they have the what do you call the Chinese song? The one Bad, <laughs> I, don't, I don't I don't I don't think so. They have the the Steel Titan theme. That's a great they one. They have they have the main theme, Megalomania and I forgot what it was. I think there was another one, but I forgot what it was. Gigalomania? No, it wasn't, it wasn't Gigalomania. I would have remembered that. But it would have been funny if they included Gigalomania. I would have loved that. But that's also hard to like... That's kind of tricky to make a note chart of for the type of theater, game theater the is because like, Gigalomania like, has like a long lead up to like, the, the, the chorus. Yeah, that is true. But it's a, it's, a, it's a banger once it gets there, though. Well, as we go into late February, we'll have another chance to talk about the full release of Final Bar Line at some point, I'm sure. But impressions of the demo seem really strong. I didn't know that it had, like, I wasn't sure if a game like this could have some sort of carryover. But now that you've described how some of the unlocks work, it's good to know that it does have the carryover uh, opportunity for those that want to play it early. You want to know what the fucked up, like, what the, how this game is going to destroy me? How so? The, so the summon stones that you unlock in this game, like like you know, it's like it's like basically you know equipable summons, right? And then, but these summons kind of have like almost like rarities assigned to them because there's like a random chance, like when you like when a summon stone drops from a stage, they can have up to three attributes, and those are like all rollable attributes. 
as well. So they could have like uh, some that like will power them up or uh, some that will give them more experience. And then like, and then you can share these like summon stones like online as well and multiplayer as well. So like if you have like a group of friends playing, it's like I have a really cool summon stone. So you can like kind of form a community that like kind of gathers around that too. It's like, okay, I'll give you give me your summon stone. So like there there'll be there'll be a like might be like infinitely replayable aspect for me of like me just grinding summon stones in this game to make like the perfect party composition. Oh fuck. I'm gonna means- die. How, to what extent does the, you said that the demo obviously doesn't have multiplayer components. Like, to what extent is this a multiplayer game? I mean, it's, 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 it's like an optional multiplayer mode, but like the way that they're, that they presented it seems really compelling, like, like meta progression wise. So you up to four players can play with each other. Um, they're all playing the same song, but they don't have to play on all the same difficulty. So let's say some, you know, some people want like a more, like want to play on like some of the easier difficulties. Like they could absolutely do that. And as you all play the song, there'll be like power ups that you gain that you can like either boost your uh, whatever up, like like maybe boost your score up temporarily, or you can like send send like things to like fuck with your uh, with your friends, like like the fat chocobo for example. Like you can use mm. that to like cover their lanes temporarily, like uh, like do stuff like mess with them, and then like at the end of each stage, like you know. They're, they're, like the first place will get dibs on like the collectopedia card or whatever card system thing that they have that like isn't isn't like there like to alter gameplay or anything but it's just like kind of like a collectible that you can like start building on your like online profile and like they have first dibs and then second place has like second dibs and so forth so like there there's like a there's like a collectible aspect of like hey i want to collect all these things like on for my online profile card as i'm like playing with my friends or like strangers and like and then obviously um along with the sharing the summon stones as well like you know if you found a cool summon stone you can like share it with your friends and so forth so it's like kind of like a like just a nice little like incentive it's not like anything gameplay altering or anything gameplay changing but it's just like it's a nice like incentive to just include in there as well and also it, it supports a uh, local multiplayer with like a second player like you can have like a second player like take care of like half the notes like say you take the top two and like second player will take the bottom two lanes that's always that's always kind of fun just for like a little casual get together yeah yeah this is this is a bit of a tangent but it's only way i have an analog to draw to this but i was i forget if i talked about on the podcast but i was taking i was playing the taiko rhythm festival that came out on switch last year just a few months ago and like, I don't hardly ever play rhythm games. So when I was asking about motion controls, that's obviously got the drum controls. Like, and if you don't have the actual drum controller, you just got the waggle of the Joy-Cons. And it doesn't feel very good. But, yeah, but, it, yeah. but, it, but it was a fun little diversion. It's very difficult to, like, emulate the Taiko experience at home. Like, you really have to be at an arcade to li- really, like, right. get the full Taiko experience. Because, of, like, even, like, how the arcade, like, setups, like, the Taikos, like, like those, those Taiko setups at the arcade, like, are like really built for like abuse. So like And then and then you see like a Tyco cabinet at my local round one where mm-hmm. they lost the drumsticks. So no. their uh, their solution was they took broomsticks. No. <laughs> I literally I, I literally complained to their front desk and told them, You are damaging your system. Stop. <laughs> Stop. Yeah, dude, what the fuck? Don't don't do that to your Tyco. I swear you can find out. You can uh, find Tyco drumsticks. You, <laughs> you can do it. This, this might be a dumb question, but how are Tyco drumsticks different from like regular drumsticks? They're usually like hollow and and they're like plastic. Yeah, okay. it's just, 
it's mainly material and durability. Like like the like the, the density on broomsticks are like it like they. Well, like, I was just they, wondering why they, don't you just hard. use like what what would be the problem with using just like regular drumsticks? Are those too heavy, too hard? They hit too hard. There's specific okay. um, sticks that you can use for Taiko. They make them. They're called Maibachi. And uh, they look like... One second, I'll just... I'm sure you could find replacements to use. Yeah. Some... But why some Why do that when you can just chop a broom in half? And... <laughs> yeah, that, that usually, usually this is what people use for Maibachi. You can get them really cheap on Amazon. They're like a very soft wood works well enough for uh, yeah yeah there's yeah you don't you don't need to you don't need to be confined to like the the drumsticks that like the bandai namco gives you uh you can just get your own but like but don't get broomsticks or like don't substitute them for like stuff that will like can legitimately damage like your setup because like like repairing taikos themselves is not fun i'll just like i always remember like i went to uh like i used i had a like a grandma that lived in San Francisco and I would go to visit her and there was this uh, Tyco cabinet at the like very, very small, like little Tokyo in San Francisco that I remember really enjoying it. The, the one time I went, then I visited her again, like four or five years later and uh, that machine was completely beat up and you could just tell that people had not treated it right. It was just like heartbreaking. It's the fate of Tyco machines in arcades, man. I mean, not- Sure. Hopefully, they're treated better in like in Japanese arcades, but in Western arcades, man, people don't uh, don't give a fuck. Yeah, it's like I used to be like, oh man, I wish Round One would have more recent Taiko cabinets. But then I look at how people treat them, even when Round One themselves aren't fucking it up. It's just like, I I, I get it. I understand. It sucks, but I get it. Yeah. People over here see a drum, and their first thought is, how hard can I hit it? Yep. Well, yeah. now I feel bad for bringing up this Taiko tangent. Look, it's legitimate, okay? It's a real problem. It's 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 been forever a problem. But you know, this yeah, it's game. yeah, now I'm just thinking of it's like I, I'm so glad that this uh this uh theatrism is coming out because I had a chance to play the uh the arcade cabinet like a couple of times. Uh my local round one got rid of it like right before the pandemic, so I've been like withdrawal ever since. Yeah, we 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 really need this. What's the what's the release date? How many more days? Two weeks, a little under two weeks. Fuck. Try. I'll try to survive. Well, thank you, Josh and James, for giving us a chance to look at Theatrhythm Final Bar Line, which is coming out on February sixteenth. So, just a demo, but it was the new thing for this week. So, I figured we'd put it here at the top of the podcast. Here, slotted at the second spot is. Is Forspoken, which obviously was the the headliner of our podcast last week and just released, you know, in late January. I do know that I haven't been able to finish this yet. I do know that Josh had put some time into it. And I believe James had put some time into it. And I figured we gave it, you know, the pretty thorough rundown last week. So we'll probably maybe try to keep it shorter here. But just wanted to see if anyone's made more progress on, on Forspoken, if impressions have changed at all. And since Josh and James kind of headed up the discussion on well, Final Bar I- Line, go ahead. Oh, I was just going to say, I didn't have a chance to talk about Forspoken last week. Yeah. Well, so, okay, maybe we'll just hand it off to you. Because I know, I think I saw that you had said you had tried to play it on Steam Deck, but didn't have a lot of luck. Maybe you tried to play it on your main PC. I'm not sure. So what did you try on Forspoken last week, this week? So I did mostly play it on my PC. I'm just, I'm going to be writing up something about it on Steam Deck. Because even though it's not um, supported, like before launch, weirdly enough, they tried to make it sound like it was going to be supported at launch. 
like even during like Valve's TGS thing, they brought some of the Forspoken Dev team onto their like a uh, kind of like a uh, panel thing to talk about oh, it. Oh, that's good. I didn't know that. <laughs> and the most recent like update for Forspoken, it's like highlighting, oh yeah, there's some Steam Deck improvements, and it's like, I mean, sure, in some spots it'll mostly hit 30 FPS, but then there's others where it's like, this is. 15 fps and a cutscene, and there's a qte here for some reason oh god oh yeah and then i had a crash and i was like well i guess i'll wait it that rebooted my entire fucking steam deck dude that reminds me of fucking bayonetta on ps3 of it having in, like the, the performance on that along with the fucking awful qtes in it oh yeah. hell yeah uh, so let me back up like, they added a qte specific for steam deck wait what no, was no, no, no 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 oh you're just being just... go ahead no, there was like a, a QT and a cutscene for Forspoken. You probably know exactly which cutscene I was talking about, uh, Josh. Yeah. It's a it's the most random QT. I'm like, oh, there's like a QTE. This is my first time hearing this, and my thought is that meme, what year is it? Like, yeah. Okay. Yeah. It was the most random thing. I'm like, oh, this canvas QTE is great. Awesome. I didn't know either. <laughs> I was going to ask. How what would everyone's reaction be if they got rid of the QTE fight in Resident Evil Four? I know it's kind of off topic, but what I know, I know what you're talking about because they already said there's gonna be no QTEs in Resident Evil Four remake. Ciao. Oh, I know. This is also off topic, but I was watching some Final Fantasy Thirteen Two footage just randomly, and I forgot that game had a bunch of QTEs. Oh yeah, uh, my favorite QTE. It's it's a game that I don't really think that highly of, but that Shadow of Mordor game that just ends in a QTE <laughs> boss fight. I never oh, played this. Man, I was so pissed there off when it was a QTE some... boss fight. That was the fucking era. Oh, I hated that era. <laughs> I was I, like, Here's our final boss. It's a QTE. It's like, cool. <laughs> just, I... So the one thing I'll say about uh, Forspoken on a general level outside the Steam Deck issues is, man, this really feels like a game where the devs were like, you know what was the hottest shit? Trip, Western AAA games in the year 2007. Hell this, yeah. It just... This does not feel like a game that is a PlayStation 5 exclusive. It feels like something that was released to showcase the shiny new Xbox 360 in 2008. It's maybe this does not make any sense, but it just has that vibe. And I get you. I get you. I, I think based on what I've seen, I feel, I feel like it's more like late generation Xbox 360 than early Xbox 360. Those launch games were kind of rough, like way like. I don't think Forspoken is that level. Yeah, so like so Forspoken I'll, 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 has has very big cameo energy. Is all I'm saying. So how I <laughs> nice. So like I I put more time game. I finally got Fire Magic like fucking ten to eleven hours. Okay, like cool. But like I think the game is once my once my friend like reminded me, it's like hey there's like a slider to like make like the banter between Frey and cough like less often i'm like where the fuck is that i looked at the i looked at the options and there's like five settings for it and there's like what is like the lowest settings like minimal i'm like i like that one so like like they basically shut the fuck up like when you're exploring the world it's 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 in the accessibility settings accessibility tough yeah frequency low default high minimal yeah or yeah four or five settings yeah it's it was like minimal and like yeah this uh, this shit's awesome because they don't shit, they don't they really shut the fuck up by that and like once once like you kind of like they're just open you're just exploring the open world they're not really speaking really that often anymore it's like you know i think 
there are cool ideas behind this game if like they just made the world like more visually appealing like there are ways to like make a post-apocalyptic world like visually appealing like look at fallout you know <laughs> like and like this game just feels so bared and devoted like obviously by like design but also just like the opening like like starter areas like it's like very rocky very barren just like not a lot like like a lot of ruins not a lot of like interesting things to like like catch your eye it's not like like for more easy recent examples like Elden Ring or Breath of the Wild, like there there are like barren environments in those games, but they find ways to like have interesting things to look at while you're in those barren environments. Yeah, so something... I was we were I was watching two people playing this kind of back side by side in Discord. There are two different points in the game, but like one of the one of their screens was basically just a bunch of brown, and one of them was like a reddish brown. And I understand, like, okay, there's these are like wastelands, but it's still just, just on its face, just like this isn't very. We'll say yeah. playing devil's playing devil's advocate here. So the the first area is a barren desert. Then when you go in t- towards the first major boss fight of the game, which, like Josh said, is further into the game than it feels like it should be, you get like the reddish brown that Adam said. When you go to the second major region, which is like Avolet, you do get a little bit more vegetation. Kind of feels like. I haven't played Horizon Forbidden West, but I've played Horizon Zero Dawn when it came on PC. And the desert area in that game, like the vegetation in that area is how much vegetation there is in like the second major region of Forspoken. So it is a little bit more visually interesting, but okay. only, but only, say, but only slight. Can I just say as someone that's played like the first Horizon, I think visually the desert in that game is way better, like way more interesting than any of the regions I've seen in Forspoken so far. Oh, I think I think Horizon has. I, know, I remember we were we were poo pooing Horizon for some of the same like Western AAA trappings, but it's art direction. Like when you play Forspoken, I'm like it makes you kind of appreciate that art direction more of like Horizon. Like wow, this actually. Uh, speaking of Horizon directly, I actually think I like the deserty areas in that game more than like the jungly areas because the deserty areas there's we talked about this before. There's a little bit less noise. Yeah, yeah, I can the, see the that. The jungle areas in those games just have so much, and it's a little bit hard to, like... When you say noise, you mean, like, harsh. visual noise? Visual noise, yeah. The desert areas in Horizon, I think, might be, like, the best-looking areas, really. And it's got a very clear yeah. art direction, where in this game, it just feels like a bunch of models of ruins and buildings just kind of stapled together, procedurally arranged. But but even if you're, like, the, even if you're, like, like a block out that aspect, right? You're like, okay, fine. I get it. Post-apocalyptic world. Everything's fucked. There's, like, zombies everywhere. Okay, whatever. Is there, like, anything cool to do? Like, like no. sure, ha- sure, it's an open world, but, like, are there any activities that are, like, worth, like, doing for the reward? So you, like, look at the map, and then you're like, okay, there's this, like, air- village area here that I can clear out enemies here, and I can get a stat increase. That's cool. I can go over here and do the like very similar thing for experience, and I guess that's okay, great. And I can do another thing here for like a journal, or I can go to this like tower, guild tower, for to get a journal entry for. I guess if if I care about the lore of this game, which so far everything I've like skimmed, I don't care about the lore. I don't. Uh, I don't uh, want to be too mean about this game, but the thing that gets me is that you see like five different types of objectives on your map in every area. It's the same five types of objectives. The only the only cool thing I've like done so far in this game, like that, like I'd like maybe go, okay, this is sort of interesting, is like the time trials of like it's basically just go to this like wisdom monument and then it says like okay, there's like your actual 
and you're, you're you're being tested, rated, ranked on like how fast you can clear out these enemies. You know, go at it. Like okay, and then like there's like it's sort of like it's kind of like a, a kind of like an arcade system story of like hey, if you, like you beat up these enemies, like they have a certain amount of points. If you can beat them up consecutively without getting hit, they'll have like b- bigger bonuses on the points. And like okay, there's like at least something to this that like like that like there's like a strong incentive of like okay clearing out these enemies as fast and efficiently as possible and you get rewarded for it of course the actual rewards themselves of like what you get on this is like more mana or like uh or maybe some crafting material it's like okay great whatever and then like only other like semi worthwhile ones I'll, I'll put it is like the the labyrinth dungeons which is just barely can be called a dungeon because it's basically you get you go into this like like well that transports you to this dungeon and these dungeons are basically like wide like you're like in ruins but they're very linear big linear ruins that like you're going from room to room they're they're like square chambers connected by straight hallways yeah and then like you could then like a a chamber will have an enemy like these enemies you clear out these enemies and then sometimes you can like you can go you can go open the door that uh, progresses you further into a dungeon or you can open like an optional door that can may give you like has a treasure chest at the end of it or or like some more skill points that you can obtain and then you go back the other way towards the main objective and then you go into a boss fight that's like that plays out like any other boss boss fight which is circling around it casting off your magic and then hitting the dodge when they do anything and so forth like at least it does of course, it does add more flavor to the combat once you get to the fire magic, which is pretty cool because I saved a shit ton of skill points once I got fire magic, and you can you can unlock like a bunch of its like support skills and like alternate types and so forth. And like a lot of those like support skills for fire is like actually really fun to mess with. Like the there's one that like you can pull into them, but there's also like a, a shot type with the, with the magic because normally you have a sword, fire sword, but you can make it so you can turn it into punches instead, which is cool. Yeah, I, I will say, I want to pick, piggyback off that. I, I yeah. said on the last podcast, maybe they should have started you with fire magic because even though I like the kind of the flavor and the theme of like the earth magic that Frey starts with, like it's about endurance. A lot of the support magic you get about is uh, poisoning or healing, like with the tendrils or the seeds, but it's just not as like visually interesting. Where like yeah. in fire magic, the first one you get is like where you rocket towards the enemy, or it's just I like the idea of having like the earth magic theming in the game and represented well. It's just it's interesting that that's what you start with. And to try to be a little bit more positive on the game, I do like when you get the earth and the fire magic. I think they complement each other pretty well. One's more suited for like close combat. One's more suited for distance combat one's more straight damage one's more attrition but then beyond that i've just recently got the ice magic which is the third magic you get and it's hard to distinguish it it's just like fire magic with a different flavor it's a lot of um well i guess it's more projectiles so i guess it's more Uh like earth earth magic in that way but the one thing i do like about the fire magic that i wish you got sooner and it's one thing that I almost recommend would recommend to anyone who hasn't played this game yet who who wants to and I including I was talking to Adam before this podcast when you when you clear when you get the fire magic one of the things you get is the traversal ability to use like the hookshot and you can finally like oh all these different like crags that you see on the map that finally you can like hookshot to them to gain a lot of elevation at once and it actually feels pretty good to do the what do they call it the shimmy into like the hookshot and gain a lot of elevation at once but it's like 
I don't I don't want to sound like needy where it's like, why didn't they give me this in hour three? But it's almost like if you're planning to play this game, you will have a much better time if I just say, hey, just beeline to the fire magic. It's more visually interesting. You'll get much better traversal with the hook shot. Just don't don't get sidetracked until that point. And that point's like 10 hours into the game. So it's almost That's just nice. like just get to that point and then the game improves. I do think improves markedly. I, I don't know if it's great, but it ends. It feels a lot better once you get the fire magic. Yeah, it, it feels yeah. better to play. Like, 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 you, you, it feels less of a tech demo and starts being more of a game after that. Yeah, <laughs> I'd say. I do wish then, that. I do wish you could like it was more seamless though switching between the elements. Like it, like when I see like the, like how the earth magic and the fire magic is like, I kind of wish there's like there's, like sort of like skill combos or skill chains that they like you could like form. Like let's say like you close in with like the fire sword, and after the first stab of the fire sword. Like you can, I wish you could like skill chain it to like the shotgun blast of the earth because that'd be a really cool like way to like close in distance and get like the most out of that skill instead of like manually walking up to them and then firing it off, you know? Like there's like some that element of it that like I wish was a little bit more dynamic and like the way that like you can like weave your spells together instead of like be confined and like and then having to switch over to the other one with the D pad and then like okay, I'm on earth magic now instead of I wish there was like a way to like interweave them a bit more intimately. And And I, there's like a default when you're changing, because you can have one spell on your right trigger and then your support spell on your left, on your left trigger. There's been a lot of times where by default, it just kind of gives you bullet time if you're changing skills. But I believe there's an option to make it just pause just completely. And I almost like think that you kind of need that because otherwise it's like, all right, I want to change my support skill. But you're just, as you're changing it, you just get hit. And you might just say, we'll just get good and time it right. But I'm I'm actually, I actually turned on the, option where like it'll automatically su- uh, change your support skill to another one that's not on cooldown i didn't i didn't see about the auto option yeah that's like it's like it's like an accessibility i think uh, it, yeah it's actually a really neat feature because i know they have the slow or full pause or no change at all and that, that might be a good challenge for it's like all right it doesn't pause or slow down at all if you're changing your skills you just got to do it on the fly so i guess it's good that we have options for that are you, are you, are you gonna make combo videos on the youtube for first spoken no <laughs> but <laughs> To the game's credit, I do think that there's a lot of headroom and opportunity for that, and it'd be interesting to, to watch some of that. It's, yeah, it's it's conceptually like that's the thing with the game. There's like conceptually interesting ideas. It's just the way that they're kind of like matched together. It's like there's like a lot of things wrong with the way that it's kind of like put together. Like the building blocks for making an interesting game are there. Like they crafted the interesting building blocks, but like when you're finally like doing the, the the act of constructing it is like what what came out of that construction like probably didn't fit as well as it needed to like it's like kind of putting like a square piece into like a circle tube almost or circle piece yeah i can see that it's i'm enjoying the i'm enjoying the moment to moment gameplay more than i'm enjoying like the trappings of the game or the themings of the game or the story of the game but like combat is fun but also like there's I guess this kind of exemplifies how I feel about it. It's like when you kill an enemy that you ha- or when you defeat an enemy that you haven't encountered before, it, it gives you a little notification that says like such and such added to your log or whatever, so you can see the model or whatever. And like, oh, I swear I'd already defeated that, but I guess not because this thing looks slightly different. But all the enemies just kind of like look like, oh, it's either a humanoid zombie or a or like a four legged liony tigery thing. And I guess that's to the game's credit. Like the each of the tantas the, the game story bosses has like 
general, like for the for Silas, it's like the winged harpy type things. And for um, the second Tanta, who I actually forget her name, the ice one, the older lady, uh, Rav, is the like the one that is like the arbiters with like the scales. So I guess the, the enemy variety is is OK, but I just wish it was more visually distinct where when you're going to one region of the map to the other, even if they did something really, really kind of banal, like just by color coding the enemies a little bit more deliberately, I think would have been more interesting it's to say like, oh, these are minions of the fire Tanta or the ice Tanta. Maybe that would have made it a little bit more interesting. But right now it just looks like they blend in with the background and it's, and it's almost hard to like even notice that what you're fighting is not exactly the same as what you fought before. Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> I wonder I wonder what Luminous Productions is going to do from there on. I would. Here's what I want. Here's actually what I want. I want um, a webcam of everyone's reactions when they announce for spoken to out of nowhere. <laughs> okay, that's my reaction. It'll be like I'm on fan. Okay, on phase. On caring. Okay. I would probably laugh and be like, "All right, that's sick." <laughs> that would probably be my reaction. I will say part of the story that I initially thought was kind of silly but maybe it's trying to do something with it is that when you fight the first tanta silas she's like a major she's like a major character and the game does a decent job of building up like why you have animosity towards her and like phrase personal involvement then after the after that point the game goes the pace picks up significantly it feels a little bit like final fantasy 15 after visiting altissa but not not nearly as as abrupt or bad but one thing that the game is doing, and I can't spoil this because I don't know how it ends, is basically so many of the other characters in the game, including Cuff, are really pushing Frey to say, hey, you got to kill the Tantas. You got to kill the Tantas. And Frey is actually, and I think to her credit, like, I don't want to do that. I did the one thing as a favor to the city, but these aren't my people. Like, yeah, you I just want to go back home. That's like the priority number one. And I actually kind of appreciated that. Like, isekai flavor i don't know if it's quite my style the way we're like when she gets the fire magic she says like i think we leveled up things like yeah, that. I fuck, dude i fucking died at that <laughs> fuck i was like dude you gotta be fucking kidding me but, you but, say that. but to her credit i did like that way she's just like i'm not your savior I'm, you know mm-hmm. i i have a i have a singular goal that doesn't involve you people sure i am a compassionate person or i can't I, I can flex into that so i'm gonna do this thing for you and then defeat the first boss and then basically the other the other tantas retaliate and then there's like this moment where they're like you caused this but she's like i was only just trying to do good and is it the most interesting or exciting or novel story beats in the world no but i did appreciate how frey wasn't like a sorry sap for it she was just like hey i just did this thing for you and i was trying my best okay this isn't my fault like and i i did appreciate that but I don't know how they're going to land that as you get to the end and the history of who her parents are and why she was brought here in the first place. And maybe this is me having played too many games of this sort, but I'm like, I'm pretty sure Cuff is manipulating her to like do to do his bidding. Like he's what? like, I don't know. I, I no. And like, it's one of those things where it's like, if they do do that, I'm like, okay, that's very trite. How could you not be more interesting? And if they don't do that, I'm like, well, then why did you like telegraph it as if you were going to do that? So no, I don't do, you, do, you, do you believe in the Forspoken writers? Uh, do I believe? No. <laughs> no. <laughs> what precedent do we have? We have the sequestering of Final Fantasy XV story and like DLC and spinoff novels. I don't know who wrote Forspoken, so I have no yeah. idea what the really is. <laughs> uh, trying to think what else that. we should... I remember I was like... I was 
George R. R. Martin. There we go. The the I don't remember if he's the composer for or for Spoken or if he just was contracted to do a few tracks. But is it Bear McCreary who did like the Outlander series and did a few other like HBO or shows or Amazon shows? I forget what, but he was on credited on the sound on the on the soundtrack for this. And a little bit, some of it's kind of generic, but. I do appreciate just kind of like the vocal themes as you're running through the desert and things like that. I don't know if this is the best thing on the world, but it's something that is distinctly forespoken. It doesn't sound like, oh, they just borrowed this from Final Fantasy 15. Some of the other things that sounds like like when he's when Frey is using the fire sword, it's like, yep, it looks like Noctis. But you know what yeah. I you know what I think of uh, when we when we were talking about this and you're talking about the OST of this game. Hmm. I think about what Square Enix, how Square Enix handled the Dio Field Chronicle because they got the composers of Game of Thrones yeah. and like. The total OST track list for Dio Field Chronicle was like eight, seven to eight tracks, I think. Mm-hmm. What was it? What was it, Adam? It was like that, right? I mean, probably more like 12. But Okay. okay. That's not a big soundtrack, is it? <laughs> I was like, all right. <laughs> did, it, did it really need more soundtrack, though, is the, is the problem? You know, is it, was it really a problem? Hmm? No. Or were they just being efficient? I don't know, just like, like that, just like the whole game. <laughs> like, at least like most video games I've played, the minimal at least it'll be like thirty tracks at least. That's that's what I'm used to as the norm. Dude, no, no. <laughs> I think because you play, we, we, we all play mostly RPGs. That's why you know RPGs usually demand that many tracks. But like, okay, okay, even Street Fighter has more song than that. Come on, the OG Street okay. Fighter. Oh, oh, you were talking about Street Fighter, but there's no fucking way it has more song. More song. There, there has to be. I mean, there's there no has to be more A characters in that game. Oh, man. All right. I'm not going to go verify it. I'm just going to be like, all right. <laughs> but yeah, I'm still making my way through Forspoken. I think I'm in like chapter nine of 12. If I've heard, like I said last time, that you can kind of like beeline the, game, beeline the game in not too long. So I might just do that to see how it ends and then see if I'm interested in just you know, poking around the world and doing some of those challenges. But like you suggested, Josh, it is a bit like, here's a ruined city. Defeat all the enemies here for an EXP boost. Oh, this one's not a city. You get sent underground to a dungeon. Defeat all the enemies here for a mana boost. Oh, here's one's it's the same sort of thing, but it's a time trial. And it's just like putting the combat in, a, in different contexts and then you're rewarded kind of the same way. Like I said yes last week, most of the items that you get from treasure chests or even from defeating enemies are crafting components. Uh, it's either crafting components or, or mana for unlocking spells. Oh, that reminds me of one other thing I wish that this one tweak I think would make the game just a lot more interesting and a lot less start-stop is that as you level up or as you complete challenges or as you just find them in the world map, you unlock mana. And mana is not like MP points. They're points that you spend on unlocking new spells in this game because your MP is basically just like your stamina here. But in order to upgrade your spells, you have to go to like a a library and then you can select, at least at where I'm at in the game, I don't know if this changes, you can select three spells, like here is my burst shot from my from my Frey Earth Magic, and you select a spell and you're like, I want to be able to have the opportunity to upgrade this spell. And it's basically, for one of the burst shots, it's hit enemies from behind. But you can only do three at a time. So yeah, if you... It's stupid as shit. It's <laughs> like... We saw this in one of the gameplay trailers. They unlocked, like, they revealed, like, three in a row right before the release of the game. And I think, conceptually, as a progression, that's absolutely fine. Where it's like, all right, the more you use Burst Shot, if you do it in a specific way, whether it's hitting multiple enemies with the same shot or hitting from behind or whatever or knocking enemies down, do that enough times and you can upgrade the spell. 
And then some of which are even like the traversal spells, like the shimmy spell. I believe if you shimmy like 50 times, you end up unlocking the ability to gain stamina as you shimmy. So this stuff is actually conceptually fine and good. And there's a little bit of that completionist kind of like checking box exercise that actually ends up feeling pretty decent. But it limits you to three. You can only have three things progressing at a time. And whenever you complete one, you got to go back to a library or a save point or whatever they call those little chapels that you rest at to unlock three more. I just feel like... Let me me make sure I'm understanding this properly. So in order to upgrade Shimmy, you have to do the Shimmy so many times. Okay, so... You have this... You have to, like, like mark it in some journal that, like... I'll paint you a picture. I'll paint you a picture, Adam. So there are these things out in the world. They usually find them at like rest spots, like at like like these safe havens, like these little houses that you can go into. They usually have like a, a crafting table, a bed, and like these little like wardrobes almost. And like you, you approach like these wardrobes, and like and then it'll take you to like a menu where it shows like your spells. And then from this menu, you can select all, only up to three of these challenges. And it's like it's like, it's like I want to choose the challenge for leaping i want to choose the challenge for burst shot level one and i want to choose the challenge for my tendrils spell now let's say let's say the tendril spell the spell whenever i hit things with tendrils it'll give me uh, it'll absorb the health of enemies that it hits and then the, the challenge is absorb 750 health from enemies so you use it so Conceptually, you use it a bunch of times while you have this challenge equipped to make progress in that. And once you have reached that 750, you can go back to the ma- to your magic spell menu and upgrade it for free because, like, you already completed the challenge. And then that but just like makes, if, it, it, it makes, just, makes it better. If I absorb 750 health with tendrils, but I never like set it as my challenge, and it doesn't count. Correct. Exactly. Okay. Exactly. Yeah. If you if you choose to drop that challenge at any time for to, for another challenge, it'll reset your progress. So yeah, you have to stick with that challenge. I, I, th- I thought it said it doesn't reset your progress, but to me, that's whether it does or doesn't. The fact that you're limited to three is just silly, because some of them are like you end up playing. You end up playing the menu of the game. Like some of them are like crafting spells. Like there's one where it's like you unlock this spell. At least on phrase, maybe this is only limited to phrase magic. Where on one of phrase magic trees, when I say phrase magic, that's the earth magic you start with versus Silas's magic or whatever's magic. It's like this magic will allow you to tear up your crafting components from like clusters to blooms. Like that's a spell, and then the challenge for that, you go to the wardrobe, like Josh said, and it's like do this fifteen times, so you. You go to the wardrobe to unlock this challenge. You put it into one of your three slots because you can only have three active at a time. Then you go to the crafting bench to tear up your thing 15 times. And it's like, congrats, you did the challenge. Now you can upgrade this ability or like the shimmy or it's like you say, okay, this one, the shimmy one is very basic. That's the one where instead of saying absorb so much health or knock enemies down, it's literally just shimmy 50 times. I think the game would just be so much better where it's like, all right, here's your magic tree. You you use your mana to unlock spells. You can unlock the spells in the order that you think is most interesting, whether you like the burst shot or you want the, the movement skills first or you want the fire skills first. And then for each spell, you use it in a certain way or with a certain time or certain you know challenge to it, then you can tear it up the more you use it. But they put that all behind this only, only three at a time and you have to go to the specific location to do it. It just feels like a couple extra hurdles that really slow down the pace of the game and don't make progression fun. Because if you if you clear a challenge, let's say I have three challenges that are active and you clear one, then it's like, all right, I cleared one. 
better stop what I'm doing and go back to a wardrobe to get another one slotted so that I can because make- else you're just wasting it. Yeah, yeah, but, yeah, but the, you know what? The real shit is never fucking worth it. Just, uh, just, just go hit it up whenever you can. Don't be, don't be optimal about it. Don't just, just the game isn't worth that, you know. And another way that I and I'm only playing on the normal difficulty, so I'm sure if you're playing on the hardest difficulty, this isn't true. But I haven't spent a lot of time on like tearing up your cloaks or necklaces or nails because you you get a fair number of them and you spend resources to kind of incrementally tear them up and make them stronger. But it just feels like in the percentage points, it feels very marginal. I never feel like, oh, yeah, sweet. I got a new cloak. Time to really equip this and see what it, what it can do. Because sometimes it'll just give you like a tiny little bonus. Like this cloak will heal you when you crit or this cloak. The, the, will the, you the, the, the secret is it's like no, 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 no stats really matter except like getting the stamina, more stamina pips. And and uh, if you're willing to go through the mind numbing process of doing those open world activities of like leveling up your magic or like get stat increases on your magic because like the numbers will eventually like you know you do start seeing bigger numbers it's just like how much are you willing to tolerate it because like in the end you're still like the hard the hard difficulty is like it's just like they have more health and like theoretically if you're playing somewhat well you're never gonna get hit anyway you know so that's that's the that's the real secret to it just don't get hit for it. I mean, it's very easy not to get hit in the game if you're if you're if you're managing your stamina well and your dodge as well. It's unfortunately very conducive to button mashing. Even if you don't have good timing, if you just keep hitting B at a regular cadence, you will avoid most damage. Yeah. So yeah. Uh, so uh, you, you want to do the review, Brian? You sound like you want to do the review. I think I've I have a few games that I'm kind of might be on the not on the hook for, but. I don't know if Colin's going to do the Harvest Teller review. I might do that. And then I might throw up something for Chain Decos, which I played in early January. But may, I don't know. Maybe. Maybe if I have like a long weekend, I'll just write up a bunch of reviews and just slap them. Thank you. Well, here is my here is my review in a couple sentences on the podcast. So here's the preview review, if, if I'm going to write it, which I'm not committing to. <laughs> I so, mean, I'm aside to write it. So all right. <laughs> So the open world, the traversal mm-hmm. is is good, not great. Combat is not is dull until you get the fire magic, and then it ends up being significantly better. I don't know if it's stellar, but beeline to fire magic. And then once you get that, it just becomes inherently a ton more interesting. I don't care for the story beats, but I will be I will admit that I do just like Freya's disposition, not Freya, Frey's disposition as a character. I even though I know Isekai trappings isn't for everyone, I do think that Frey kind of behaves realistically without being too melodramatic. I, overall, I'm enjoying her character and the, those little moments more than the overarching narrative, which I could take or leave. I wish the open world was more interesting in terms of things to do. We kind of talked about how it feels very samey. Sounded hey, perfect. Well, we'll, we'll, get, we'll get it after transcribe what you just said, and then Adam can go edit on google docs there you go yeah just adr yeah, uh, or whatever there, you call there, it. yeah. yeah. it's just do the, the ai just have it write it yeah oh yeah <laughs> <laughs> it prompt, like review for stalking saying has good combat bad trappings and okay story or whatever and then perfect there make, you go make, make it 1300 words okay <laughs> only 1300 i don't know damn well yeah, Josh, Josh, Josh is like, that's my intro paragraph. Yeah, you know what? <laughs> mm. Game good. Bad. Mm-hmm. That's it. All right. Um, I need to go start looking into this AI thing. Yeah.
All right, and the only other game that we could potentially slot in here, but I don't know if we have a ton of bandwidth to talk about it, is I did finish Fire Emblem Engage last week before I got into Forspoken, but we've already talked about that on a several occasions on the podcast, and I know a few people haven't quite finished it yet, so I don't know if I want to go give me a, into... Give me a two-sentence final thoughts. Okay, here, and it's actually quite positive. So Fire Emblem Engage, as we've talked about in previous episodes of the podcast, and just kind of like the zeitgeist in general, seems to be, if you boil it down with an obnoxiously, obnoxiously large brush, is a gameplay good, story bad, if you want to make it super binary. One thing I will say about Fire Emblem Engage that did surprise me is that most games in their last third kind of get off the rails, whether whether it's the clope, the scope of their story gets too big, the gameplay mechanics kind of like break down. Usually the final third of the game is the weakest aspect, especially for like Tales games. I don't know why I'm taking pot shots at Tales games. Sounds <laughs> <laughs> like they all right. But Fire Emblem Engage, I will say its last third is probably its best third. There's a section in the middle of the time of Engage where you're basically doing the just the world tour. You're going through all the cities, you're being introduced to all the nobles and all the characters, you're gathering rings, and it's very rote, kind of boring, honestly, not interesting. Once Engage gets that out of the way and is actually able to just dive into like who the antagonists are, like the, the team of villains, whatever call it, and just get away from introducing the world in this very mechanical, awkward fashion... It's, does it doesn't become great. I still would say no, but it becomes a lot more interesting. It feels like it gets all the requisite like filler out of the way. Like, oh, okay, you've, been, you've seen all the nobles, you've seen all the cities. Now we can actually do the interesting stuff. It's just that by then you're in chapter like 21 of 26 and the game's almost over. I thought it was interesting that in some of the very last, I'm going to state this as spoiler free as possible. This is just mechanics of the last couple chapters. In the last couple story chapters of the game, Engage finally introduces you to like a, a level that has a turn limit, which I'm surprised like, oh, it's just now telling me about chapters that have turn limits. And then there's this one chapter that has this really interesting setup that has like this lane mechanic where you have your units divided amongst three lanes and among and each lane will have a specific mechanic that you have to either like avoid or or tear down as you go through it it's not just an open map that you can death ball or turtle and i'm like man i wish it had some of this stuff earlier like by the time it introduces some of this stuff i've i I only have like three chapters left of story and then i will say as generically as possible i really do like just mechanically how the final chapter is set up it was a challenge it was dynamic um and kind of i was playing on hard mode not maddening but it i had to use quite a few uh of the of the turn back mechanic so as a classic fire emblem i felt like you know dying inside every time i did that but uh, i don't know the last third of the game left me on a more positive note than i was feeling at like the like the 15 hour mark so it does i, it I good... partially agree and partially disagree okay in terms of mechanics and map design i agree that like well basically very very light spoilers the boss basically says like come get me and before you get him you have to go like three different guardians and that to me just kind of felt like padding in terms of just like story like oh i gotta go left right and up to like basically get three guffins and then i can take on the boss it's like breath of the wild but you don't need them but those three levels are strong levels just like from a game standpoint so that's where i agree and disagree like in terms of story i kind of just feel like it almost is almost just like this sign thing kind of throwaway. but in terms of game it's really good but yeah the, the the level with the three with the three lanes, I definitely think is one of the stronger ones in the game for sure. 
Yeah, and maybe we'll have an opportunity to talk more detail later on Fire Emblem and actually go into spoilers. But just Three Houses, I thought, near the end. I still think Three Houses is a better, more complete product. I still will say that I, by the end of the game, I was just skipping all uh, support conversations. And you might look at, listen to that and be like, well, then how can you have an opinion on them? But every single time I tried to listen to them, I like I would just like zone out. Like I just did not find them interesting or compelling. Like I found the gameplay a lot more compelling than any of the characters or any of the stories. I'm like, all right, I'm just going to skip this so that I can do another battle. And if that's not your thing, if you came into Fire Emblem looking more for the character interactions and story. So, and that's kind of, you know, we've talked, we've had a few opportunities to talk about Fire Emblem Engage. And basically I'm saying my mind, I guess, didn't, my opinion didn't change on that, but last sort of the game really had a lot of time just simply playing through it. It'll probably appear on my top 10 list this year, but not as high as I would like as, you know, Fire Emblem used to be one of my favorite series. And this game I thought was just merely good. Not great. Not quite the complete package. It has high highs, but kind of low lows. And that's my summary. Spoiler light as possible on... Another another thing to transcribe onto a Google Docs or an AI to finish. Yeah, well, we'll, we'll put up the AI review and compare it next to uh, Adam's <laughs> and see if fewer people agree. Or, or It'll fewer be identical. <laughs> <laughs> and then we learn Adam never existed. Holy shit. He, he was an AI this whole time. I mean, you're supposedly his brother, so I mean, you know, you would know best. I'm not going to, mm-hmm. you know... Oh my God. No, I'm just an AI that Brian created. And this, I'm just an AI. I'm an AI account, an AI voice. Everything I write is just AI. That's crazy. You're the most versatile AI I've ever met. That's your man. That's awesome. I need another one of you. Well, with that out of the way, we'll go into kind of the article shoutouts in the news section of this podcast. Like like last week, the news section is pretty limited in scope not a lot of things have kicked up as we enter i know it's already february you know 2022 felt like it took forever for me 2023 is already flying by so not not a lot of new information on the news front here but a few things that were announced from the nas america event earlier in the week but before we get to that we do have a couple articles up on the site both of them are from james and both of them are about final fantasy 14 so Final Fantasy XIV is currently in the midst of its patch of its chapter six patch series. And I'm going to hand it off to James before I mistake anything too, too egregiously. But I'll hand it off over to James. And I know Chow will chime in too as another active player of the game. James had written about both patch 6.3 and his impressions on that, as well as a little bit of drama that occurred in the game space regarding the new ultimate raid that was released in the last couple of weeks. All right. So. Patch 6.3 came out last month, and then Patch 6.1, well, sorry, 6.31 released uh, last week. And uh, those patches uh, led, uh, um, added a bunch of content. Specifically for 6.31, it added in the newest Ultimate Raid. And the first of the two articles I published was about how there was a bit of a controversy surrounding the world's first clear raid race for uh, the uh, current ultimate raid, the Omega protocol. Basically there's been like on, like off and on some like controversies surrounding like modding in 14 over the last like couple of years for a while there, it kind of fell to the wayside because there wasn't really as much raiding content, like during the tail end of Shadowbringers. But um, I wasn't actively playing the game at this time, but apparently when, 
the one Shadowbringers Ultimate Raid came out, which Ultimate Raids are like the highest end raiding activity in Final Fantasy XIV. There's specifically raids that you can only even attempt if you have cleared the Savage Raid tier, which Savage Raids is the regular like high end raiding activity that most like raiders act like actively engage with and then ultimate raids are okay so you get gear from doing the savage raids and from doing your weeklies to get tome stones that you can swap for gear and then it's like okay you're best you're best in slot what's the point of that the ultimate raids kind of like that carrot at the end of the stick where it's like you have all the gear now it's time to challenge yourself and try and get like clear these fights where the whole point of clearing the fight is Here's a shiny weapon that isn't really better than what you currently have, but it's a status symbol and you also get a title. And also the fights themselves are mechanically interesting. So back in Shadowbringers, there was a controversy where the team that cleared the Epic of Alexander, or T, at the time used a mod to auto-place waymarks on the stage whenever a phase change happened. That way there were specific like waymarks on the stage corresponding to the mechanics going on at any given time. That was something you could technically do in the middle of fights at that time. You could just swap them even when you had already pulled the enemy. So even though people called them out for using mods, it wasn't something that was necessarily an advantage. You could have had someone like place the markers, like save the markers themselves and just automatically just bring up the uh, waymark thing and just click that button every time. But so so it's kind of an advantage, but it's more of a it's more of a convenience. It's more yeah. of a convenience, but it would yeah. definitely make some fight way a lot easier than it would be. Like, and okay. then yeah, well well even then I don't think that was as big of a deal because again you could well I mean no as a result of that there were some changes you could save way markers and after that, but you could only place them before you pulled the boss, so you couldn't change them in the middle of a fight. More recently with. Uh, DSR or Dragon Songs Reprise, there was another small controversy over the ClearVid video that uh, the team that won that race, Neverland, put out. The Red Mange that was that uploaded it used a mod to better like give them a visual indicator when they could slide cast, among like one or two other things that were minor, very minor, but reignited people's complaints about modding in 14 but both of those like the the uh, t stuff and the dsr stuff yoshi p and the dev team are very lenient on this they said we they said pretty much we do not allow mods but we also don't have any way of telling if you're using a mod unless you like upload something that outright shows yeah you're obviously using a mod and at that time they said we do not want to have anti-cheat and stuff like that things were a little different this time because first off, the team that won- that originally quote unquote won the world race for the current ultimate raid, the Omega Protocol, was a Japanese team. Which obviously, for a Japanese developer like uh, um, Creative Business, uh, Creative Business Unit Three, there is a bit of a cult- there is a bit of a difference there. But the severity of the mods they used was like well and above what the two previous ultimate raids did. Like setting down way markers, whatever. It's technically something you could do within the confines of the game, even if it is something that is giving you a bit more convenience than if you were doing it manually. But stuff with the slide casting. Realistically, slide casting is not all that difficult. Just having a visual indicator to say, hey, 
you can move now. Not all that like helpful. It's a little bit helpful, but not all that much. The other thing they had was buff debuff timers, which the dev team themselves said, yeah, we should have this in the game. Those were added for recent patch. I think it was actually out of 6.3 where you can actually see the timers for buffs and debuffs for the entire party. Basically, that was a mod at that time. But the dev team was like, yeah, no, this should be in the game anyways. I think that's one of the best thing they added because you know who fucked up <laughs> by looking at the buff timers. It's like, yeah, that guy had that. But instead, yeah. back then, you couldn't see the buff timers. So you don't know who fucked it up when you're doing yeah. mechanics. But yeah, so with the most recent raid, what happened is, is that the team that quote unquote won, though officially they haven't won now because they got it revoked, which is massive because that's something the dev team hasn't been hands on about this stuff before to this degree. And it's like massive shift in policy. Um, They use Zoom hacks, which uh, basically means that when you're like blind progging an ultimate fight, if you're blind progging a raid where you where people do not know all the mechanics yet, the number one, like the number one thing you can do to give yourself an advantage is to give yourself more information. And no matter how you do that, that is a massive change, like a massive uh, adjustment that if it's done with like outside the confine, the confinements of the game at a stock setting is like that's like there's cheating. And then there's that because like if you can see like. Basically, the they they increase their field of view so that it could that they could see more going on at once than they typically would. Yes. And it's especially important for world races because generally all of the groups that are going for a world first they're going to have the eight people that are raiding but they're also going to have people that aren't raiding but their whole job is okay multiple people are going to be recording their footage and maybe change like sharing it to discord and your job as the ninth or tenth person is to view that perspective and instead of like since you're not worrying about rotation since you're not worrying about dps you're just looking at the mechanics that way, when something goes wrong, like when you're worried about like your positioning and you're worried about your DPS, you're instinctive, you're just going to miss stuff. So, but if somebody's just watching it and doesn't have to worry about any of the actual mechanical stuff, but it's just looking for what went wrong, that's a massive, like, that's her job. It's like, okay, mm-hmm. I think this is the order in which these things went off. And that helps you figure out, okay. Here's maybe how the mechanic works. And when you're trying to clear a fight as fast as possible, when there's no information, having someone using zoom hacks to zoom out further than the game normally allows doesn't just help the person using the zoom hack, but it helps the entire team gather information. And that's why it was such a big like uh, shitstorm over this, because even if you don't play 14, like, once you lay it out like that, it makes perfect sense why, like, previous hacks, it's like, okay, it's for not breaking the fight. It's for convenience. Like, setting down waymarks doesn't matter if you didn't already know what those waymarks are for. Using buff debuff timers doesn't matter when you when you needed to know what those buffs debuffs are for. Using zoom hacks matters because... That lets you figure out things at a much quicker pace than someone that's not using those tools. So if you're not someone who does ultimate rating and you're just on the outside looking in, and even if you play Final Fantasy XIV, why would someone be invested in saying so-and-so will first clear, oh, or legitimately or not? I don't think 
most of the raiders really care about who gets world first or not because the people that are doing the race it's all for fun it's all Mm -hmm. for fun because people genuinely like doing these raids the thing that uh, really gets a lot of people that do ultimate raids though and part of the reason why i wrote about this is that you see a lot of people that even like back when the t and dsr stuff happened they were like oh all mods are bad which yes the dev team's saying this but you also have to understand is that when you're at high end when you're rating at a high end level and i'm sure even chow can attest to this to a certain degree there is a certain number of mods and plugins that even if the dev team says okay we do not allow any of this it's endemic everyone uses act a lot of people use cactbot it's like there's all these little things that add up over time where the dev team says one thing but anyone that's not rating doesn't really understand how there's a reason why this instance of like this type of plugin blew up and there was such a big deal about it it's not because not just because they were using plugins at all it was because of what they specifically used and there's like even even if the whole like even if on paper it's like okay we can't allow any mods we do not we do not want you to use plugins anything like that the main thing is and i think the reason why the dev team reacted so much strong more strongly this time because keep in mind like there was like temporary suspensions for anyone that showcased those those mods and plugins in previous ultimates but it was temporary and they still kept all of the accolades for being world first. They kept their weapon, they kept their title, all that stuff. This time it was different. The person was caught using the zoom hacks banned, but not just that every single person in that group got their uh, title revoked for clearing the fight and had to relinquish their weapons. And I don't know if I'm explaining this right. No, that makes sense to me. They they didn't get anything that they would have earned from them from winning. Yeah, yeah they uh, basically the GM logged in, told them they had to delete the weapon from their inventory. They just can't remove them automatically. It seems like they have some you know limitations with the game that they can't do it straight off from their the reason. The reason why is because if uh, if you're on a certain job, you can't relinquish a weapon if it's the only weapon you have. So that's why they said you have to get manually because it's like okay if you already threw out your savage weapon you're gonna have to get like another weapon to swap it out with or something like that i think but this is a very extreme case where i don't know like i think what some of the players that did this clear some of them even got death threats because they're like how dare you stay in our game how dare you and it got so bad that some of the people that did this clear they actually delete their account from the game yeah they don't want to be harassed you know it's, yeah it's <laughs> It's one of those things where there's been like uh, rumblings for years about how the uh, Japanese fan base for 14 is really like, like, toxic. <laughs> yeah, toxic, especially when it comes to any sort of modding, even just like visual mods. And they're, they're like a witch hunt kind of. Group. Yeah, yeah. So I think like I was not surprised to hear that some some of the uh, people that were in the uh, raid group unnamed, which were the ones that before they had their stuff revoked were considered the uh, world first for the fight i was not surprised to hear that some of them had deleted their characters because for them that's i mean that situation it might have been the best option for them it's either get continually harassed for years or delete their character and maybe be let off the hook because it's like okay well they deleted their character they know what they did is wrong we can 
they've got the message, which is terrible that that's what it had to come to. I would never deal with those people because those people are dicks. They would be, they would try to get you deleted just because you probably use a hack for chat bubbles. While <laughs> they are yeah. the worst kind of scums, I would think. These are like these these guys are like the villains of what is it? Let's miserable, where the yeah. guy is just complete lawful to the extreme, a complete scum. <laughs> yeah, but anyways, the main reason I did that article is that. You see so much stuff like going out this way and that way about, oh, well, they got the whole reason they got uh, their stuff revoked was because they were using any plugins. That wasn't the case. Even if the dev team might be saying otherwise, it's very clear that the reason why this was different was the combination of it being a Japanese team and also the severity of the hacks they were using. Because I guarantee you every single group that seriously tries to run ultimates on content are going to be having people using mods it's just inherent with how the scene is yeah like like i actually don't blame on name doing this thing they were think they got the mindset it's like you know if everyone's gonna use plugins why not we do use plugins too but now that this thing happens you know i think square enix has to put this thing we better get people banned from using this so that it doesn't become a standard. So if so it becomes let's... a standard, then it'll, it'll turn into a wow, you know. And this is something that you know not, none of the Final Fantasy players signed up for. So yeah, and also there's the whole like uh, elephant in the room where it's like, well, all of these fights need to be clearable on consoles. So it's like if, if you make it so that like the high end raid scene is like, okay, well you better play on PC. That's like a massive problem for the for the dev team themselves. So. So let's generalize uh, that you were able to write up the feature specifically on the raid story that really boiled it down for those like me that haven't played Final Fantasy XIV. But then you also put up a second feature for 6.3, which you titled something a little bit down. You titled it Endwalker's First Real Stumbling Block. So I know a lot of people really think very highly of Final Fantasy XIV and of Endwalker. Based on the title of your article here for 6.3, you see, it seems like it's something you're not quite as high on, at least not in the most recent patch. Uh, just go ahead and talk about like why you think 6.3 might be a little bit of a letdown if I'm interpreting the title correctly. Yeah, so 6.3 is a fine patch. It's just like in comparison to 6.1, 6.2, it's a smaller patch, at least for now, until like uh, 6.35. But the main reason why I said it's maybe Unwalker's first real stumbling block is because of a combination of some baffling design decisions. Like I was really like, I was a huge fan of the adventure plate stuff and instant portrait stuff that was added with 6.1. But now that it's out of beta and now that like instant portraits are in basically every instance content, the way it works in practice, they like there was issues with it. Like when it was in beta, and like the instant portraits were only part of uh, like crystal conflict and well, crystalline conflict and PvP. But because it was in beta, people assumed they would be fixed when it was brought out of beta. Long story short, basically, your portraits are based off of your gear set, and uh, whatever you set your portrait as, if you get even a single piece of new gear, even if the glamour that's applied on that gear is the same, so you you visually look identical, the moment you add a different piece of gear to a gear set, it just resets it back to the, like, app, like, default, like, just, like, thousand-yard stare, 
and you have to go in and manually change it back to how he had it before. It and is it's, very finicky. It is so dumb. So dumb. And you can't even just have it be, okay, I want my instant portrait to just be what I have in my adventure plate, which is a separate thing. And like they might say, oh, well, we don't want people to see like an instant portrait for a healer job when when the person's a tank, even though you have a big color coding on the instant portrait to let you know what role they are. It's just like, just just do it. Just do it. It's way less finicky that way. I mean, for people that want to have an instant portrait for each of the gear sets, that's neat, I guess. But the way it works where it just constantly breaks when you get even a bit of new like gears. Annoying as hell. Yeah, it's it's bad. Yeah, but, but even more so than that, like 6.3, that's an annoyance. There's less content than 6.1 and 6.2 added, which is whatever, because they've also been updating like PvP over time. They've been updating Island Sanctuary over time. Whatever. The main problem with 6.3 is stability. There's a lot of bugs that just found their way into the game just out of nowhere on 6.3 and it's been very noticeable and there's been stability issues like i remember the like first week of 6.3 there was a lot of issues with the stability of the north american data centers primal like just buckled under its own weight for a for like a like an hour or so like and the only reason i found out about the only reason i didn't like run into that is that i was doing like a reclear for a p8s on ether with a few friends of mine and then later, it's like, wait a second, that's what happened with Primal while it was gone. Oh no, I did, I did the reading. It was god awful that day on the first time. Yeah, everyone yeah, on random disconnected, and they. Oh would- yeah, oh yeah. Like during that, I was trying to do a reclear, and I was trying to do that reclear. The very first pull, half the group got a Pokeball, which is a disconnect symbol, and so we did that one pull, and then everyone was like, okay, nope, not today, not yeah. today. We did it for for that. It will be like as soon as you almost got the boss die, it's like somebody DC'd or this guy lagged for five seconds and couldn't move, and then you fucking die. It's like, yep, yeah, not possible. It's like I don't know how anyone can do like high end game content in this game if you don't have the best connection. Like yeah. I don't know how it's that even legitimate. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that's the other thing. Like, sorry to bring it back to the raid article, but that's the main thing I, I said in there too. It's like. A lot of the time, some of these plugins that people are using are because of deficiencies with the game. Like 14 Alexander, no Clippy. On their own, you could technically cheat with them, but because everyone uses ACT to parse uh, their logs, and because FF Logs has a filter to make sure, okay, this is something that could be legitimately done stock, people aren't using 14 Alexander and no Clippy to do stuff like triple or quadruple weave for jobs that shouldn't be able to. Just using it to make themselves have an even playing field to people that are hooked right up to the server, like in Tokyo or some shit. It's like there's so many like technical issues with 14 on the best of days, and then just 6.3 comes and it's like, what the hell happened? Basically, like, ba- based on the instant, we call it instant plate. Well, no, 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 the technical issues with like the stability with the connections and then. The other stuff that people have been running into with like actual like critical bugs with uh, 14 jobs, like uh, Ninja still has an issue where one of their main buttons, Mudra, like has an inherent delay into it, which means that if you're a Ninja main, you have like muscle memory to quickly like dole out these spells that use 
or well, hand signs that use mudra, it's just not working right right now. And they didn't fix that heading into the ultimate raid, which means that the people that are most likely going to be impacted by that as ninja mains, they just had to suck it up. It's like, what? (laughs) So it's like a lack of polish that you've been accustomed to seeing from Final Fantasy XIV. But it's not like... Like if you think about it, it is pretty good content wise. There is this content, like this patch has a ton of content added to it. But yeah. just like everything else is just like I think something went wrong there. Too much focus on content and not much of the polish, maybe. Well, I mean, there isn't as well, I mean, six point one had more content. Like undeniably. Like this is a fairly standard like X dot three patch. Just yeah, I wasn't there in the in the Shadowbringers X3 patch. I was just there at the end, and I was like, "Man, this game is so epic." <laughs> you feel like, okay, yeah. yeah, yeah. It's like I'm not trying to be negative. It's just like when 6.1 and 6.2 were so strong and so solid. 6.3 coming out and like understandably having a bit less content because we're at we're at the halfway point of the expansion. Things are slowing down. This is a catch up patch to begin with. It's seeing all of these technical hurdles just pop up like seemingly out of nowhere is like what the hell happened <laughs> is all so that's the main reason why it's uh been a bit of a stumbling block because especially for people like me especially for for raiders it's like been instantly noticeable because the worst thing the worst thing is like when you wipe and it's not because of any one of your faults but because of like a connection issue or like a bug with the game it just it doesn't feel good. Those are the ultimate feel bads. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like every time you did everything right, but one person just couldn't move due to lag, and then you die. So I, I kind of don't like that when it comes to doing like savage and maybe ultimate ratings. It's just everybody is responsible, but just because one person dies, it infects everybody else. It feels kind of kind of wrong and then you'll be toxic towards the person that caused the wipe you know you'll be like it's like how dare you why did you die you know and that's why that's why i record my ultimate session so if like lag happens i can just point to and be like it's not my fault i had the proof Mm -hmm. well uh, thank you thank you for illuminating us on the recent going ons goings ons for final fantasy 13 uh 14 6.3 both with specific to the raid scene and also just the polish of the most recent major update so obviously seems like mostly just in terms of expectations where this game has been super successful for quite a while now so it just seems disappointing that the lack of polish in the most recent patch for the game yeah all right with the two features that james wrote discussed and out of the way we'll go into the news section here this is Pretty limited in scope. Two major pieces of news here. Both came out of the NIS America event that we kind of teased at the end of the last week's podcast. One of these things we kind of expected and were hinted at we would likely see. This other thing, I think, was a bit of a surprise. So the thing that we expected to see is that Disgaea 7, which has been in the Japanese marketing scene for a while now with a bunch of character trailers and all that, now officially has an English name, Disgaea 7 Vows of the Virtuous, sorry, Virtueless, Vows of the Virtueless, will be releasing in fall this year for PlayStation 4 and 5, Nintendo Switch, and PC, and then NIS America then released an announcement trailer for the release. Um, Adam? uh, Stupidly, like, big to be honest compared to how you remember how this guy is six was uh was handled last time 
I remember I had a lot of weird oddities with, is it coming to Sony? Is it only on Switch? Who's publishing this game? Is that what you're talking about? Adam, do they, they do? I mean, I, Adam, I know, I know you remember how it was done. Do you want to recap? Well, I mean, Disgaea <laughs> Six in Japan just released for PlayStation and Switch at the same time. Uh-huh. Nothing weird about it. Okay. In, in the West, it was announced in a Nintendo Direct, and like Brian was saying, it was only announced for Switch. Now, here's the thing: when a game is usually like announced in a Nintendo Direct, like Harvestella, for instance. Obviously, the Nintendo Direct context is like, this is a Switch game. But usually you get the press release from the publisher, Square Enix in that case, and be like, okay, here are the platforms it's actually coming to. In that case, also PC. But for Disgaea 6, it's like, nope, this is Switch exclusive, which was weird considering it had a PS4 version in Japan. And it's just like, why? And we never got a clear answer. It's like, <laughs> did Nintendo fund it? They didn't really publish it. Like, was it a marketing deal, like exclusivity deal? So uh, far, all I could tell that uh, NIS America got out of that was that there was like postcards of some sort that were available as a uh, My Nintendo reward. And that was all I could find. That was the only thing I could find. But anyways, Disgaea 6 did eventually, like a year or some months later, come to PlayStation and PC. But, you know, had this weird, like, staggered release. Whereas for Disgaea 7, it's just coming to PlayStation 4, PlayStation 5, Switch and PC. Presumably, looks like just all at once. No weird, like, exclusivity windows. So, like, that's definitely a plus. Yep. And far less confusing. I mean, I think that, you know, the biggest thing that people will notice just from this, this game, like, in terms, like, when the enhancements, like, your, your units can get super big in this game. Like, off the board big. Like, like gigantic kaiju size. The, the the name of it threw me out because I thought it was going to be jumbofication, but it's jumbification. Yeah, jumbofication. So that's you know, apparently this game like uh, there's a demo for this game that released in Japan, and like I guess a few people who tried it out already like were telling me it's like yeah, it's already a, a way 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 better improvement than Sky S Six just from the demo alone. So I never really touched the Sky S Six. So I don't know in what ways this could be like you know they're still they're still they still adapted their three. Not going back to 2D, but this guy, uh, they're still on the 3D path with it. And I think you're going to stick to it. But, you know, apparently from people who played the demo, they, they, they seem to like it over the Sky 6 already. For the I, yeah, Mutual of Minds is playing through the game. And uh, he uh, shared a screenshot where it's like there's apparently a chapter where, like, the goals is basically beating the shit out of scalpers. So Dang, awesome. That's awesome. Cool. Yeah, I, I would like to get back into the like a Disgaea game. Like, if this is like a, a really good Disgaea entry, like, and it's coming to PC, you know, I'd like to like get back into Disgaea. Sure, like I, I haven't gotten back, I haven't really gotten into Disgaea game since like three. <laughs> I think is this the first time it's releasing on PC day and date? I think so. Yeah, yeah. So the other PC reports were late. Yeah. I mean, all, I remember yeah. all the other ones, it'd be kind of confusing because it'd be like Disgaea and Disgaea 2 and Disgaea 2 Complete. And then Disgaea 2 Complete's PC version. And like it was really, really staggered and almost hard Disgaea to get. Disgaea 2 actually never got a complete version, which, well, they don't call it Disgaea 2 Complete, which probably just proves your point. It's kind of yeah. confusing how they label these. So The other major piece of news, or maybe not a major, but surprising piece of news that came out of the NIS America updates was that NIS America is going to be releasing. Rhapsody Marvel Kingdom Chronicles in the West this summer for PlayStation 5, Nintendo Switch, and PC. So this is effectively Rhapsody 2 and 3, which are following up from the 
Prinny Presents re-release of Rhapsody, a musical adventure. Do I have that all slated out correctly, Adam? Yep. And the main difference here is that Rhapsody 2, Ballad of the Little Princess, and Rhapsody 3, Memory of the Moral Kingdom, these were previously Japanese only, so this is a new localization of two decade-old games. Yep. It's, yeah. it's it's huge. Like this, these are like projects people never thought would get ever see an official localization. Big, big, now, big win. You know, NIS has like Makai Kingdom, I believe. It had like PSP content that was never translated yeah. before. So when they mm-hmm. re-released that, it was like partially new. Like La La, La Pichel, Pichel, Ragnarok as well. Yeah, that one also. So they 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 sort of had like translating stuff that had never been translated before as terms of like new versions or updates or content but this have they like it's been a while since they like here's a re-release that's technically a re-release but it's basically releasing for the very first time yeah this is they've done, yeah. yeah they haven't so, done this for that's these very games. cool and it's it's interesting it's two whole games into one. Yeah. by well this is interesting that this was announced by nis america which is sort of similar to like the Prinny Presents packages where those are like announced and released in the West first. And then they usually make their way over to Japan later, which is interesting to me in terms of like the Western branches kind of like, you know, taking the charge on some of these re-releases. Yeah. And then they, you know, obviously make their way kind of in reverse uh, backwards. Like I'm actually, I actually just, I'm going to the uh, the Japanese Nipponichi software blog right now. And I'm pretty sure that like this Marvel Kingdom Chronicle game has not been announced for Japan. It's just, I'm sure it'll, it'll come eventually, but that's just what I'm getting at, is that it's kind of handled by the Western branch first then brought to Japan later, which is interesting. I, I guess we should also note, like, because, like, you know, because obviously Rhapsody is a series, well, now we could call it a series, like, in the West, right? Because they didn't, like, you know, they, these were, like, interestingly enough, like, these, these were never really called Rhapsody in Japan. Like, you know, like, the original Rhapsody was, like, it was like Marl Kingdom. Yeah, Marl Kingdom, the adventure of the puppet princess. And then like like what? Like the the sec was like little princess like Mario Koku no Ningyo Hime, I think. And then like I think the third was like Tenchi no present Marl Kingdom Monogatari, something like that. But like obviously when people think about Rhapsody, like the original PS1 game, they're very fond of like like the English localization of it, especially the English voice acting. It's because like Rhapsody is like a musical at heart. There's like a lot of musical notes or musical lines, musical like just segments in it. And people who don't know like these these two sequels, that they're they're very much in that same line too. They have they're very they're musicals at hearts. They have a lot a lot of like you know, but just burst into song in yeah, this game. This will start singing like a Disney movie. <laughs> yeah, you know. So how Nice America is handling the localization of these is they will still have options for you still have dual audio english and japanese for the voice acting but like the actual songs themselves when they start buzzing out of the tune will be japanese only for these release releases i think the new releases obviously in the in the west how they're doing the subtitling and the audio is when they're singing in the game you have a karaoke of the japanese lyrics that they're showing in the subtitles in parentheses underneath the, like the translated english line oh, the, cool. yeah so it's like all in real time as well if only they so. added like button mashing like in yakuza games but like you know they, they showed a little bit of rhapsody 2 on the live stream at the english audio and it sounded it sounded really good you know i i think people will be like really happy. i've actually seen some people disappointed that they're not 
dubbing the songs. Yeah, that's that's, 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 that's it's really that's tough. That's with dubbing the songs. It's extremely hard and very. Yeah. It's, it's hard to do and easy to do poorly. Yeah. So like, sort of like, it just felt, I guess, for a release like this, probably just the effort and to get a good quality of that yeah. for a release like this, they probably just decided. I think this is. We've seen, we've seen other people. We've seen other games do this too. It's yeah. just like the songs were just kind of stick in Japanese. It's just probably like, you know, at least they're doing, they're handling this like in the best, like the next best way possible. Mm-hmm. Right. Because like the, the other way is like, you have to like re restructure the whole lyrics of the song to like fit like the right. English language. And like, does that take away from like the original meaning, et cetera? It's, it's so difficult. So I understand why they went this route. And I, I still think they're still very charming. Like games. I, I, I've never played the completion. Like I've only very like, touched these games like very very briefly when i was like messing with ps1 emulation way back when i was like oh like like many other people i didn't know rhapsody had sequels until you know uh like within the last 10 years <laughs> i think the only thing i was worried about with these kind of re-releases like japanese audio quality like they don't actually archive things too well i just wonder if like audio quality still holds up uh, kind of a, this is kind of a tangent, but I remember when I was playing when Persona 4 came to PC and I checked out the Japanese voices on at least on that port, the Japanese voices in Persona 4 are like way lower quality. And I just mean like audio quality than the English. It's very weird. Yeah. Like, I don't know if that's just how it was or what. But, man, I really want to just want to play all the Rhapsody games now. <laughs> but it's like, I, I wanted to, I still like to get around to the fucking Nice classics, but like, too many games. No. games. Did even Rhapsody three release before Disgaea one? Obviously, the early ones did. I think so. I think I believe so. It's just like all three of these games are like pre Disgaea Nibonichi. Yeah, is- yeah. Like, like I think I think Rhapsody came out like at the end of two thousand. So if 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 Disgaea this came out after two thousand, let me look this up. Yeah, I want I want to say Disgaea came out after. Yeah, two so. maybe. Is it for Disgaea two thousand two maybe? Yeah, so Rhapsody think... Three came out in December two thousand. The original Disgaea came out in two thousand three. Oh, so several yeah. years before. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Disgaea needs some something else, really. I mean, not that say like Disgaea is like is it as bad or anything. Like Disgaea is very good. It, it's it, just like that's basically their flagship. Yeah, and, yeah. Like, but Nice existed before that flagship. Yeah, they they were one hell of a company. No, no, but that's uh, this is this is such a great surprise, you know. Like, this is a real, in some ways, this is like a really, really cool way to celebrate a third, like a 30th anniversary. I know a lot of people were like, We want Falcom announcements, we want this, we want that from like uh, this nice anniversary event, but you know, they already made it clear that they've already made it clear it's gonna be you know, focused on nice, like centered, focused announcements, like just for nice, you know, and like this coming out of nowhere is like, I. That there's something really, really cool about this, like you know, just for game preservation and just like yeah. just being able to like just access these in the West. Finally, that's like this is like there's like almost like like low key, almost like but second that Setsu Three got official unofficial localization finally, right? Well, like you for know? the last twenty years, you could not play these games unless you imported physical copies from Japan, whatever was left. Yeah, but now it's like for the next twenty years, hopefully. These are still on digital storefronts, at least. And now I know there's a can of worms there. Like, how long are those going to stay up? Yeah. But at least it'll be still an improvement in yeah. terms of we'll have these games available to play decades down the line. You can play them in English. Not, so yeah. Very cool. So. Not just an improvement on that end, but also an improvement in 
remember when Rhapsody DS came out and they completely axed any of the references to the later games from yeah. the uh, localization? Mm-hmm. That was like, I think that was the first really major controversy that got a lot of people like being like, oh, hate NS America's localizations. It's definitely one of the early ones for sure. Yeah, that was that, that, that was and true. uh, that, <laughs> like a uh, good old. SD or Hart or uh, as the uh, as the American scholar SDD. Oh yeah, uh, oh, man, I really that, that is the worst name change ever. Because it's pretty her, bad. Her Japanese name was like SD Reinhardt or something like that. Why the I, hell did I, you I said it? it? SD or yeah. Hart. Yeah. yeah. Like, why would you do such a stupid thing to have a stupid joke in your game? It's just yeah. the worst. So I mean, you know, moving on past that, it's just like this is this is great. I I was very very happy when they like they showed this like. Holy shit. <laughs> there are so many classic NIS games that I want to get to, like Phantom Brave and Soul Nomad and Makai Kingdom and these. You know, just like, man, there's too many games. You could probably like fill up like a good chunk of the year if you just only played in these titles. <laughs> like, yeah, you know. and the thing is, is they're all available on Steam now, or they will yeah. be. And that's just, you know, I can buy them, play them whenever I want. So it's cool. So yeah, this is like, keep on doing these. These, this is great. This is great. Yep, so the two Rhapsody games are going to be releasing at some point this summer on Switch, PS5, and PC. Disgaea 7 just recently released in Japan, but will be releasing officially in English this fall for the same consoles plus PS4. Uh, I think one odd one odd thing is that the Rhapsody Duo is not coming to PS4, it's just PS5. Yeah. yeah. So yes, like, those games could run on ps4 i don't know (laughs) next gen is here you don't get like let's let's think about this for a little what what do you think is like the thinking behind like like, with nissan like you know like obviously this is decision made in a meeting like hey we're gonna put this on ps5 and that ps4 why do you think that is reason why is because that way they guarantee that's actually going to be shown on store shelves not just for like gamestop but it's like like you've seen folks like Annie Hawk say it on era where it's like the idea is from a retail sense. Do these have, do these have like actual physical releases? I didn't actually check. Yeah. Well, at least at the, the Nisa store. Yeah. Okay. And the idea is like, especially for a place like Best Buy, eventually they're going to phase out PS4 games. And even if you can play PS4 games on PS5, nobody's going to just, they're not going to showcase it. It's not going to be anywhere where people could really see. And that's the idea is just, like eventually, like even if they can run on PS4, give it another like year or two. The types of people that are most likely to buy NIS titles are probably all going to have made the jump to PS5 at that point. So hmm. the idea. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I can see that. Yeah, I didn't think about that. And also, just the first Rhapsody game is not on PS5, so it's kind of <laughs> okay. I, I also didn't consider that either. That's funny. I mean, you can still run it either way, right? Still run it on PS. The first Rhapsody game is what the new release is just Switch and PC. So, oh, oh wait, oh yeah, you're right. That's because they didn't have the Nisa Classic, uh, but that had Rhapsody One on P- PlayStation. Yeah, none of none of those, none of those NES Classic right. PlayStation. Okay, that, yeah, that's a weird oddity too. I didn't think yep. about that. I just, I just auto assumed like, oh yeah, first Rhapsody's on a PlayStation. Oh yeah, no, it's not. <laughs> yeah, this is weird. You know what? It's easily solvable by just having a switcher PC. <laughs> yep. There you go. Wrap out the news section here. We've got a couple of trailers and then a handful of dates 
that are important to keep in mind. Most of these are, again, February dates, so nothing happens in February. Uh, For the two trailers, one of which is a game we've talked about quite a bit, and that is, of course, Like a Dragon Ishin, which is the remake of the previous RGG Ishin or Yakuja Ishin, which was never officially released in the West, which is now coming out later this year on February 17th, sorry, 21st. Last week, we talked about the new trailer with the with the card system embedded in the game. This week, we got a trailer that is basically a, a story trailer for what this game is. Obviously, it's borrowing a lot of the character models and animations from all the other Yakuza series. We talked when this game was first announced how it's been updated to now introduce some characters from games that originally released after RGG Ashin, such as Yakuza 6 and 7. So we're kind of in the weeds of the marketing here. We're only a few weeks away from Yakuza Shin, or excuse me, Like a Dragon Shin officially releasing in the West. I don't know if there's much more to say on that. Gosh, I know that you had played this game back when it originally released on PS4. Yeah, yeah, it was released on PS3 and PS3, right? Uh, Cross Gen. Yeah. Well, it just looks like I said, like it just looks so much more vibrant, so much better with the Unreal Engine. I do think it's interesting that one of the major characters this game, like the sworn brother of of uh, Yoga Sakamoto, uh, Yoma Sakamoto, like uh, his uh, actor was changed to the the final uh, boss of Yakuza Zero, and and one of these screenshots for the for, for the trailer. So mm-hmm. like interesting them like seeing like rich characters from like the more recent called like Yakuza Zero more recent because originally. You have to once again remember the original release of Ishin came out before Yakuza Zero. It came out after Yakuza Five. I, like I forgot when it's like it was like was it yeah like when PS2 Yakuza came out. I'm trying to remember if Yakuza Three or Yakuza Kenzan was the first PS3 HD title. Then it was like Yakuza Four, Yakuza Five, then Yakuza Ishin. I think then it was Yakuza Zero. I want to. I remember the timeline, but yeah. So it's interesting seeing like. You know, obviously, these more popular, iconic, recognizable characters in the West, obviously, uh, may make more of an appearance here. And like, because the, if they still if they still had it like the the old way, where you just had a lot of like characters from three, four, and five still be in here, like a lot of like more recent Yakuza fans would be like, they well, yeah, recognize, yeah, exactly. Like, like for instance, Yakuza Zero, one of the one of the a fan favorite antagonists in that game is Kuz or Kuze, Kuze, and. Like so now I don't know who he's playing as in Ishin, but he's a new model that are using that character's likeness in like a dragon Ishin. And then Yakuza Seven, like uh what's the, Sato is he's you know, they're they're basically taking all these characters from zero, six, and seven and importing them, kind of doing a character model swap, which I think is obviously if you're a fan of the of the of the original likeness, you know, you are losing that, but it is something that, you know, Western fans at least for a game that's being distributed globally will have more of a yeah, it, 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 it looks the same effect, you know, like, you know, for back then, because like if you if you played if you were still like playing through three, four and five at the time and like got really into those games, when you get when you jumped into Ishin, you'd be like, oh, I recognize that character. He was from that game, you know, obviously, like many more Yakuza like a dragon games came out after that. And like, it'll evoke the same effect, especially for more recent newer fans to like a bigger audience of like, like some ways you're playing through Ishin to like see like oh I wonder who I'll recognize next who are who, who's the next character like I'll, I'll be like oh shit I know where they're from you know I recognize that character you know and that's a that's a fun flavor to it that like like you can go you can go into this game not knowing you know you don't have to play have played 
any of the other Yakuza games. But obviously, you'll get uh, something a little, a kick, a little extra out of it because there is like there there is like a fan service aspect to these like, right. uh, spinoff titles. Uh, so it's was the same way too, you know. Like Ken and Zan also had you know, those familiar character models and likenesses into those uh, characters. And I went to Google a list of all the changes, and it seems like they really hit heavy on Yakuza Zero, especially like the the the, the three major story antagonists in zero all are now represented in like a dragon of shin so yeah you, you they're, play, they're very cool too like yeah, i agree like they're great characters the other trailer that we got is for the upcoming release also releasing on the 21st actually and that is atomic heart so this is the studio game being published by focus entertainment being developed by russian studio mundfish uh this game is one that we've had a few instances on the podcast to talk about. Unfish and Focus Entertainment are very clearly and deliberately marketing Atomic Heart as an action RPG. I believe in the opening sections of this new gameplay overview trailer, they reiterate that as an action RPG. I was talking about this with Adam, but this game mostly reminds me of is Prey from 2017 so a very bioshock or system shock-esque immersive sim-esque with some rpg light or rpg adjacent elements to it so if you haven't been keeping up with atomic heart because it is admittedly kind of a lower profile release releasing at a very crowded time especially for those that are more interested in games and like a dragon or octopath traveler 2 this new gameplay overview trailer it's one it's it's a trailer that if you don't know what this game is you you watch this and it does premise of the story how the gameplay works and basically just gives you the whole overview of exactly what this is so if you haven't been if you haven't had your you know, sated for your bioshock-esque or your or your prey-esque or your dishonored-esque you know feelings lately that's exactly what this game seems to be at least based on this new trailer that's sort of the realm it seems to be trying to occupy so not quite an rpg even though that's what they say it is i don't mean to be critical like honestly but you say lower profile release, but there seems to be like an audience for this game. And I've mentioned this before also, like that trailer was released three days ago and has 150,000 views. Like that's pretty good. Mm-hmm. So no, I guess that's a good thing to keep in mind. I say lower profile because we're so used to like zeroing in on Atlas okay. and Square Enix and things like that. But in the, in the wider space here, yeah, this this Atomic Heart is getting a ton of traction. It, it, it is really yeah, even maybe more interesting. So there's two uploads of this trailer, one in English and one in Russian. Okay. The English trailer has 144,000. The Russian trailer has 525,000. <laughs> Holy shit. So oh. I, I, wonder, I wonder if like if like if there if like the optimal way to play this game is like is in Russian. Mm-hmm. I mean, honestly, if I were playing this game, I what voices does it even support? I would hope Russian is one of them, you know. <laughs> You'd think so, but I remember uh, what was that game that I played? Steel Rising is a game made by French developers in France and it didn't have French voices and it's just like, okay, I would have played it in French. Yeah, yeah, uh, so the support uh, Russian full audio from the Yeah, like I would definitely highly and, consider and this actually this actually supports a lot of fucking audio from uh, from the Steam page. Yeah, so, oh, wow. What is this? Five, six, seven, eight, nine. Yeah, it's, so it's like what is that? Nonary audio? English, French, German, Spanish, Spain, Russian, simplified Chinese, Polish, Portuguese, Brazil, and Italian. Voices, but no Japanese voices. Does Japanese subs. Japanese text, yeah. That's that's yeah, it's crazy. That's a lot. That's a lot of audio. I wonder what's the file size for this game, dude. A lot. <laughs> uh, it's not so, as much as first spoken. No. So let me go through this because I'm looking at Adam's RPG list. Uh, February 14th, Labyrinth of Galleria. 
February 17th, Wild Hearts. February 17th, Tales of Symphonia Remastered. The 21st, you've got Like a Dragon of Shin and Tomacart, the two trailers we just talked about. 23rd, yeah, you there's, got... There's, hold on. There, 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 there's, a, there, there's a thing with Like a Dragon of Shin. If you pre-order, you get three days early access. Oh, yeah, Sega does that now. February 23rd, you got Digimon World Next Order and Tyrant's Blessing. February 22nd, you have this mark here, Adam. This is the Redemption Reapers game from the Fire Emblem veterans that you said you were pretty interested in a couple weeks ago on the podcast. And then February 24th, of course, Octopath Traveler 2. So that is like within a week, there's like at least two or three games there that I want to play, potentially more than that. And like I have a hard time imagining anyone that follows this site or the sort of games this site covers not having something to play there or at least your backlog crying out in pain. Like, oof, I want to get to multiple Uh, ones of these. Brian's ultimate th- result out of all this is he's gonna 100% Forspoken instead of playing these games. Yeah, if I if I just focus on Forspoken, then I just don't need to worry about these. That's right. What about the wizard game? Uh, that that's coming no, out. Man. It's coming out on the 10th. So there, if you want it, and no, then no, also yeah. if, you, if, you to, if you want to play, go play it. I mean, yeah. you know, what's, nothing's stopping you if you want to. It's, yeah. For the, then early in March we have Wo Long Fallen Dynasty, like March 3rd, and then I won't go any further than that. But it doesn't really slow down from there. Uh, I'm longing. I I, I still find it very funny. I can say, Olong is a good video game. I can't elaborate any more than that. (laughs) Well, well, let's go. Let's go a little bit more into some of the more recent additions to these February dates. So, one of the dates that's actually going to come up just in this next week, literally in the next couple days, is a demo for a game we've talked about previously on the podcast, and that is Wandering Sword. So what this is, is that this is an HD 2D-like game, so kind of like the Suikoden remaster or uh, 100 Heroes, from the Swordsman Studio, which is a Chinese studio. This is basically a Chinese take on seemingly a mix between Octopath Traveler and Live Alive. So this demo is going to be released on Steam as part of the Steam Demo Festival on February 6th. So by the time you're listening to this podcast, this demo might be already available. Um, I will have more to say about this next week. Why say. is that? <laughs> I don't, who could who it say? Who could say? Because you're going to play the say? demo. Obviously. Yeah. yeah. All right. Yeah. So this, so this uh, Wandering Sword was originally revealed last May. And so in 2021 and 2022, we kind of saw, we've seen a few games take advantage of the new HD 2D like art style. So this was a, one of the ones that I think seemed to kind of latch on to people's you know, expectations a little bit strongly than some others. But, you know, next week we'll have a demo available and we will we'll be able to poke at it and talk about it a bit more thoroughly. The yes, it's, de- pretty, it's, it's pretty interesting, right? Because it's clearly inspired by Live Alive HD2D style that we barely just got a live a remake of Live Alive in the HD2D pixel art style. It's like, it's kind of a weird renaissance almost in a in a sort of way. It's like, I think I'm happy about that. I just hope it's not, I just hope it's not like it doesn't get like super saturated. But like right now, we're like I feel like we're still in that like phase of like okay, there's still like a healthy these or so like there's a still like a healthy amount of these releases that like, that sort of carry that novelty factor because there's like there's like different takes to it, right? Right. When does so Dragon Quest three release? Yeah, that's the question that we're all wondering. <laughs> then literally the next day, we have the next update for monster hunter rise is releasing on february 7th adding a risen version of the crimson glow crimson glow valstrax and then also Valkana from uh, monster yeah from monster hunter iceborne monster hunter world iceborne 
afraid of Valkana. I'm just afraid of uh, Risen Valstrax. <laughs> I will say that the master rank tempered Valkana was one of my most stressful fights in Monster Hunter Rise Iceborne. So, <laughs> something about that. And then, and then, and then, uh, Valstrax, just the regular version of Valstrax and base Sunbreak was enough for me. Dude, yeah, I don't want to think about what a Risen Crimson Glove Valstrax is. <laughs> I like how they just keep adding suffix or sorry, prefixes to it. Rims, Risen Crimson Valstrax. And I, then let, let, let's see if I can unpack exactly how many layers of modifiers were on with this thing. Okay, so Valstrax was the flagship monster for Monster Hunter Generations Ultimate, or one of them. There was also, we'll call it the one flagship monster, because the other one doesn't really count. Already existed. Crimson Valstrax was a variant of Valstrax that so far is exclusive to Rise. And now Risen Elder Dragons are like uh, basically the equivalent of like aren't tempered elder dragons from like world or iceborne and so it's a risen variant elder dragon what the fuck <laughs> i can't wait till like it like actually like commits to like fucking jet drops on you and like that mm-hmm. doesn't make it super choreographed <laughs> This title update, I saw that one thing that people were just kind of like at least amused by was there's paid DLC to get like these sort of like poorly drawn, like sketchy, like sketchbook type faces and portraits for your characters. Did you it's, see that? <laughs> there's, it's very yeah. funny. It's, it's yeah, but the, but like also like it's crazy how much they uh, they monetize this game too. Yeah, those are those are. I was looking at like how much. DLC there is on Steam. It's like more than 200 pieces of DLC. Like, oh, okay. I mean, it's kind of the same thing with World. Like, World had a bunch of DLC, but a lot of it was just like... It's almost all cosmetic. Yeah, it's cosmetic. It's music stuff for your, like, your little hideaway, especially in Iceborne. It's 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 one of those things, right? Fundamentally, yes, it doesn't, like, alter the game, like, game experience itself. But there's also just like this little, like, you know, the boomer inside me is like, but, you know, back then we got also. I do. I do know that a lot of people have complained about it with Rise specifically because there wasn't a lot of like weapon glamours or whatever for like world. And most of the stuff you could buy was specifically like stuff for the handler. But there's definitely been like a slight shift where it's like, oh, yeah, here's all of these plush monsters that turn into weapons and here's all these really like fancy weapons that have unique animations i, I, don't, I don't i don't know if like if capcom will go back and like try to like maybe shift the direction of like their monetization of like their monetization philosophy of like future monster under time yeah yeah which like, is like it's already poisoned the well or if it's like already done well for that's like why would they go back i mean i still don't think that there's anything necessarily wrong with what they're doing because monster Hunter, like obviously we still have tons of different armor sets tons of different weapons we still get like free events and stuff so it's like it feels almost like picking to me it does like, i understand that but at the same time it's just like it's one of those things that like i just think about because like i said like i i i went back and i played the shit out of monster Hunter generations ultimate with my friend early last year and it's just like it's just like it was like so weird i was like man i really really missed these, these kinds of monster Hunter games i i can't even like elaborate how or why it's just like it's just like like it just felt so complete <laughs> but, but didn't yeah that, didn't, didn't that conversation 
kick off by one of the producers on Wild Hearts saying that they will not have microtransactions. Yeah, that's yeah. What and they said no. Yeah, they just recently said no microtransactions and free updates, which considering the $70 video game better hey, be in Hold on, hold on, hold on. Let, let, let's, 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 let's make that sentence better. They, they, like, these are two separate things. That no microtransactions, and then hard cut off, and then there will also be free updates. Not, not saying no free updates. There will be free updates, yeah, 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 no, no microtransactions. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They also, <laughs> they, they also had like an I don't think we actually did a news post on this. They did an AMA on Reddit, apparently, where they said there's going to be over 20 large, mon- like unique large monsters at launch, which for a new Monster Hunter type game, that that's actually that's pretty, pretty good. damn good. That's a pretty yeah. good number. Yeah. So I'm really curious. I really, really want to play that game. I'm very curious about it. It looks it looks pretty cool. Good thing you have nothing else get- on your plate. Yeah, good. <laughs> nothing else going on. The other news that came out of uh, Capcom this week is that Monster Hunter Rise obviously just recently released on PlayStation and Xbox. But before then, as of December 31st, 2022, back when it was only on PC and Switch, Monster Hunter Rise has already sold or sorry, shipped and digital sales of 12 million copies. So still doing very, very well. And obviously, we're expecting a bump to that now that it's released on all the consoles as of January of this year. They also released a really cute artwork with that uh, commemorating the release. Mm hmm. I forget the Dongo chef's name, little kid. I forgot yeah. the name also. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they're, they're, these monster hunters yeah. don't have names. They're just called Veteran Hunter. Or whatever. Yeah, they got Dongo Chef. That's her name. There you go. But yeah, obviously still doing really good. It'll be interesting to see exactly how much of an inflection that Monster Hunter World's like absolute runaway success just persists through all Monster Hunter games going forward. Let's see. We also have on February 14th a release of an indie RPG. You know, nothing else coming out that time. This is Soul of Kronos from Astrolab is the publisher. The developer is Futu Studio. So a new at least trailer for that game coming out on the 14th. This is one of those games where look at the artwork and like that looks really neat and then you look at the game it's like oh (laughs) (laughs) that that was me i was like oh man that nice artwork let me go check out this trailer oh to be clear it's got like these really chibi models where it's like literally like their head and their feet yeah like it's like the like the the um, models you'd see like an arxis lobby like 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 blaze blue and ram blue versus like those little chibi models roaming around those online lobbies it's like that it isn't bad it's just like but the art style really makes you think it's something different. Which is, <laughs> you know, all right. Well, good luck. I mean, it's not. It's a good thing they picked a really good time frame where no other games release. And the last release date that we got is a little bit further out in February. It's for June. This is the Exceed published game from Marvelous, Loop 8, Summer of Gods. I talked about this a few times last year as it was formally announced, I believe originally on a Nintendo Direct? Maybe that might, that might be the case. It will be releasing on June 6th for the West, and that's coming shortly after the Japanese release on June 1st for Loop 8, Summer of Gods. Yeah, so to be clear, like before this, this release date came out, like the original release date for Japan was like March 16th. So it was going to come like ne- next month in Japan originally, but like it was, it was a weird thing because at the time when they announced the release date, I like got the Japanese press release. They like mentioned Exceed by name at their Japanese press release that the, oh, they're, they're, you know, 
releasing it for PC on Steam. Basically, mm-hmm. Xseed is handling the PC version, yeah. not Marvelous. So just by just for logistics, they're like, this is also coming out for PC, but it's but it's Xseed. And so they sort of announced they sort of announced a release date for the PC version for or for Xseed, but Xseed never like confirmed it themselves. And I guess that was for the better because it was delayed anyway. Yeah. So so it's this, yeah. So the Japanese version still got you know a pretty big delay back to June first, right? And then it was it June. Is it delayed back to June first in uh, Japan also yeah, for the console? Yeah, it's June first for Japan, June sixth for the West and PC. Wait, wait, wait. <laughs> hold on. Least in the West, is it okay? Okay, I got it. So it's released in the West is still for consoles and PCs on June sixth, and yeah. then for in Japan, the console versions in Japan are June one. Right. Okay, got it. And it is all all consoles. So Xbox One is playable on Xbox Series, PS4 is playable on PS5, Switch. It was originally announced on a February 2022 Nintendo Direct in Japan. It's playable on Switch too, right? Like like um, the others, right? <laughs> and, and then uh, and then of course the PC release from Xseed. PC also playable on PC and playable <laughs> on PC. <laughs> on PC <laughs> also too. supports PC. <laughs> the PC too, I can't wait for it. Anyways, this game sort of looks like like it's like a social sim turn based RPG. It's like set in a rural town, sort of like a tiny element to Persona, only not like by that I mean just like social sim RPG. But I need to kind of see more to understand like its actual structure because it's honestly yeah. a little bit like I'm not entirely certain how it's actually structured. Me too. I, I feel bad for mentioning this and surfacing this name, but you know when the character moves around the environment in that release date trailer, you know what it reminds me of? What? I'm in eternity. <laughs> <laughs> for those who aren't familiar time and eternity was a playstation 3 game that was like it's from was it from uh, what was that company's name oh fuck! I, I don't remember the company's name man but it's it like idea factory but it's not idea factory but the, the the big feature of that game way back when was like this game looks just like an anime like it that was a big big deal back then it like, was it, uh, image epoch that's so, right remember, yeah remember image epoch oh. So yeah, that was a big, big deal back then. Of like of a game actually looking like an anime. It's like, oh yeah, it does actually look like an anime. Holy shit! But then like they 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 kept on focusing on this their their marketing campaign for it. And then like the month before the game actually came out, we had no idea what the fuck the game actually looked like in motion. And then they released the, the, the gameplay look into it, like a gameplay trailer. It's like, oh, oh, that's yeah. that's what it looks like. Great. <laughs> fuck and yeah. RPG site has one of the highest review scores for this game. Thanks, Zach. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not gonna say anything. Um, if but, I interview scores, I mean like a seven. But still, I'm not gonna say. Anything. But you know, I mean that that's I'm not gonna say that like Loop Eight is like gonna you know match the quality of that game for better or for worse. It's just like the first thing I thought of within my head because my brain is broken, and when I see that sort of style in a game, I'm like, huh, that looks like Time and Eternity. <laughs> Fuck me, dude! Oh my god, you have memories of that game. I'm, I'm not saying I like you know like that game. I'm just saying it's just no, like but it's you so, still remember that. It, 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 it's memorable for the wrong reason. Yes, yes exactly. Yeah, it's fuck. God, it's not my fault that that was like the first game I saw that had that like sort of style of motion in games, and that just stuck with me because it was like, oh no. Good thing Nisa didn't brought it up for their anniversary. <laughs> they localize it. Back. Yeah, yeah. Let's get back time and eternity. Let's re-release that for the. the yeah, let's go. Hey, maybe, maybe, uh, maybe Axis will re-release it. They're re-releasing. Uh, oh, 
Agorist. Agorist War for some reason. Dude, if they did, I'd re-release on Time and Eternity. Oh my god. And Eternity for Switch. That would be so disgusting. <laughs> I think I'm pretty sure I said this on a previous podcast, but when I saw that press release for Agorist, I like literally laughed out loud. Uh-huh. It's like, this is the last thing I expected, and why this game of Let's all Let's fucking go. Oh my god, Agorist is such a game. So yeah, uh, Loop 8, releasing June 6th. Oh my god. <laughs> Alright, so let's see. The next time we record, it'll be the 11th. Is that is that that's pretty much right before everything hits? Man, I do, I'm not so yeah, I'm not saying Loop 8's gonna be bad. I have no idea. I just feel bad summoning fucking bad games. Like, <laughs> we mentioned Time of Eternity that it went to Agris because of Loop 8. Damn, I feel bad. Yeah. Going to be near heavy hitters in June, obviously Final Fantasy 16 and Diablo 4, unless there's a lot of rumors of that getting delayed. I don't think it's been confirmed, still currently slated When is Street June. Fighter 6 again? Just curious. June. June. Also June. Yeah. So yeah, June's getting pretty packed pretty quickly. I'm sorry, Grand Boo, you're like, you need to come help me for Street Fighter 6, or else I don't care about you. I mean, no, I don't know what would be a good release. Take really like, not released anywhere near FF16, or else it's, it dies. <laughs> so... Oh, I'm talking about. Oh, I'm in mean the fighting game, the verse. Oh, right. Oh, right. Rising. Yeah, Rising. You, you said relink. I'm like, I'm sorry. I get the titles mixed up. Uh, okay, it's amazing. I'll be for Street Fighter 6. Uh, I don't know. I don't know if I want to come out or after Street Fighter 6. I, I, th- I, think, I think at this point, I want Rising to come like around November. I don't know. I just feel like if it comes out after Street Fighter 6, everyone's not gonna. just gonna. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, I guess so, right? Because we're gonna think about feature sets like fucking. You can make an. You can. We can make the case that Street Fighter Six is an RPG because it does have an RPG. Like it does have RPG system. All right, Street Fighter Six is now RPG, guys. Because I review. I mean, you you could do the review if you want. <laughs> Are yeah, you signing no. up? Yeah. I mean, whether or not we can, whether or not we can pretend it's an RPG or not, hasn't stopped us from talking about fighting games on this podcast before. Dude, imagine if we imagine if like people just went to the site one day they say Street Fighter Six review by you channel <laughs> out of nowhere. Yeah, it has equipments, world tour, level ups. What is there more to say? Yeah, I mean, fuck. Do you, do you, do you, do you save the world from God? Yes, you, I just killed uh, Seth. <laughs> okay, and Gil. Yeah, you're right. It is our let's get JRPG. Huh? Thanks for you. A homeless like, bum killing God. Yeah, JRPG right there. Well, without further ado, that covers us for this edition of the TetraCast. I like how we still get two and a half hours worth of discussion, even on a week where there's not much to talk about, as is our specialty. So, of course, February is going to be incredibly packed pretty quickly, and we're all working behind the scenes on all the stuff that's coming out soon for that. You can read all the articles, the news, and James's two features in Final Fantasy fourteen, including all of the recent reviews on the site, rpgsite.net. You can find RPG Site on all the social media platforms. Just search for RPG Site on Twitter, Facebook, YouTube, or Instagram, and you should be able to find us pretty quickly. You can join our Discord at discord.gg slash RPG Site or by hitting the link at the top of our homepage. Uh, if you've listened to this and you're enjoying it, go ahead and leave us a review on Spotify or Google Podcasts or wherever you listen to us, or leave us a comment either on the YouTube upload or on the site post. We love to hear from you whether or not we're doing well or there's things we can be doing better. And we will be back next week with another edition of the TetraCast. Look forward to hearing from us then. Stay safe and take care, and we'll talk to you later.